0: I was having way too much fun this morning. Way too much fun. Listen, work can be fun, okay? Let's just be clear about that. I don't want you to think I'm just lollygagging around this place. Nose to the grindstone, getting stuff done. But sometimes the stuff is fun. A lot of the times the stuff is fun. You see, I came across one of those lists. You know you know what those lists are all about, right? The things that are meant to get us talking about I don't know, whatever it is the list is about, I guess. And and the two lists in question were the most rewatched Christmas movies every holiday season. And, according to the experts, of course, the very best of the holiday songs. And so I spent considerable time finding little clips from said movies and little snippets from said songs so that when I present these lists to you for your consideration, and we can argue about them then, because why wouldn't we? That's why they make the lists, so we talk and or argue over them. Argue in a friendly kind of fun way, but still. I'm sure we'll disagree with the movies that make it or didn't make it. Like, there's a glaring absence of at least one on the movie side for sure. And then do we really like this music? I don't know. I will say this, quickly, stream of consciousness, you know how this show starts. I do really enjoy, like, there was a time in in the not-too-distant past that I would get pretty grumpy about, are they starting with the all-Christmas music already on our sister station, Chime 96.7? I'm way past that. I love it. I absolutely love it. Every time I get a chance, I just flip over and yesterday afternoon presented one of those chances because... We're going to be baking some Christmas cookies, and so while we worked in the kitchen, what do you want to do? You want to ask for some goofy Spotify playlist? No, you're going to listen to all Christmas music on chime ninety six point seven love it absolutely love it anyway, maybe you've heard these songs on Chime over the last little while. We'll get to we have time. we have four days left, including today, to go through a whole bunch of things here on the show. And we will absolutely get to the most rewatched movies every holiday season. Maybe you've got a favorite. We'll listen to some snippets of some of the most popular, according to the experts, or the very best Christmas songs. And I just I wanted to have it prepared for you. I want to present it as best I can. And the next thing I knew, it was 8.48 this morning. <laughs> and I'm running into the studio, and Devin's looking at me. He's like, what is with this guy? Devin, you can tell the truth. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. He's the one that works around here. Do you ever, like, when you see me running in here, I think I threw my hands up in the air. I didn't even say a word to you, and I walked right
1: back out again. Like, do you worry? Do you wonder what the heck is going on with me? I'm always curious as to what the exact, uh, I'll say shenanigans are of the day. <laughs> There's always some type of shenanigans going on. Some amount of planning, some amount of, you know, organizing, some amount of want versus need versus capable at a given moment, right? I trust you. You've and been doing it long enough. You know how to steer the ship. I know how to push the buttons. That's what I, I like to hear. They see That's how
0: this relationship works, right? You trust me. <laughs> yep. I'm not sure it's it's well-founded, but I guess I haven't let you down too much yet. So nope. Okay. Right? <laughs> so I trust you to do your part. You trust me to do my part. And
1: you're just like, okay, there goes Farwell again. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we can find something each and every day. Oh, gosh, yeah. I figure easier to ride the tide, you know. Just go with the up and down. Yep. Hopefully the down's a little fun, you know, like a roller coaster. Hopefully the ups a little, you know, scary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the part for me on a roller coaster. You're going up, you're like, oh boy. Actually, truth be told, I don't even ride roller coasters anymore. The things terrify me.
1: Yeah, I was uh, I was always a coward as a kid. Yeah. I had to confront that in my teenage years because all your friends are like, well, you don't want to ride the roller coaster, and you can't be like, no, I'm scared because all your guys are going to be like, well. You know, you're a pansy, whatever. You can't have that badge of honor, so you just got to tough it out and deal with your terror of heights. I'm still a coward as an adult, I can tell
0: you that. Yeah. I can tell you that for sure. All right, on a, on a more serious note, and then I, I want to get to something uh, with you today, but a couple of uh, serious notes, and, and one I'm laughing at. The first, though, which I'll share now, uh, not laughing at all. Like, what in HE double hockey sticks is going on around here? Is this the city that I grew up in? Of course, I, I ask that question rhetorically because it absolutely is not. And I'm not just this time talking about the number of skyscrapers, literally scraping the sky. Are these buildings going up in downtown Kitchener and all over Waterloo, which is going higher than the rest of our cities, more high buildings there than anywhere else? I don't know. But that aside... So this morning, we've got police investigating a shooting. On the weekend, we had an armed carjacking. Like, what in H-E, double hockey sticks, is happening out there? What is with the use of firearms in the commission of criminal offenses? I guess we'll learn more about whatever it was that led to the firearms investigation this morning. But I don't know. I I feel like, and, and this might just be recency bias, but I feel like I'm hearing about it a whole lot more, and I don't love hearing about it a whole lot more. The other thing, as you probably saw, and credit to our good buddy Josh Gorey, who is our morning reporter here on City News 570 and happens to live in the beautiful township that is Wilmot, he shared with us pictures of the weekend of that speed camera once again vandalized outside Sir Adam Beck's school in Baden. And I got to say, this makes me chuckle because I, I was thinking about how one would go about doing this. Not that I'm advocating it, okay? But I'm like, the camera is completely helpless. You can sneak up behind it and it won't know. It can't see out the back. It's only looking one way and it's also only looking at the vehicles going by. And then sure enough, I heard Alex Black's report this morning... On City News 570, all news mornings with uh, Christine and Luke filling in today for Mark. But I heard her use the word attack. The camera was attacked, which just fit into what I had in my mind since Josh shared the pictures on the weekend. You sneak up behind the camera, you see, and then you have your saw with you so you can cut that sucker's legs right up from under it. I've also, though, heard from two people who shared an identical, and this is coincidental because... I don't think they know one another, but they both got tickets from a photo radar camera for driving 42 in a 30. I know, that's 12 over the posted limit. The limit is clearly posted, and so, too, is the camera clearly visible. I get it. But are these the menaces we're really trying to get off our roads? People driving, heaven forbid, 42 kilometers per hour. I'm going to say this again, okay? Region of Waterloo. It is not too late to change course on the photo radar madness. It's not too late to change course. We do not need 175 speed cameras in this region. We do not need them, Sam I am. I will not eat green eggs and ham. It's not too late to change course. This is (laughs) the goofiest thing. And somebody in Wilmot Township, seems to agree. All right, let's get to the phones because we've already got people waiting. And one of those people is Kyle. Good morning, Kyle.
2: Good morning. Well, okay, well, I was going to say uh, something about the uh, Christmas movies and, and the music and stuff. If I'll you
0: want to. I, I'm going to do it later, but we can do it now.
2: Oh, okay, well, before I get to that, the world has gone mad. That's why everything's going on the way it is. But has has, has Gus Polinski and the Kenosha Kickers made the list? Wait, who and what? Gus Polinski and the Kenosha Kickers. Has
0: he made the list? The list of what? Christmas, movie. Christmas music. <laughs> no. Christmas music. What? no! Who? who Gus, Polinsky. Polinsky. Gus Polinsky? Polinski. Polinski. Gus Polinski and the Kenosha, Kenosha Kickers.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a poll. No, band. are you making this up? Google it and then get back to me.
0: Okay. I'll Google it.
2: Just trust me. You'll, you'll, you'll get a good chuckle when you Google it, all right?
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Cheers, man. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it we got uh, still three days and almost the full fourth, the show we're into. We're going to get to all of these things, I promise. Paul, good morning.
3: Good morning. I have one question for you. Uh-huh. Are you using some nefarious means in an effort to try and win a bet in order no! to avoid, no! <laughs> in order no. to
0: avoid no. eating a shoe? Uh, no, okay. Let's let's remind.
3: Can you can you tell us exactly where you were between the hours of Friday night and Sunday morning?
0: Okay, so here's the thing. I did. I have I, my <laughs> suspicions. I am on record as saying, if we end up with 175 speed cameras in this region by 2028, as has been reported, I will eat my shoe. I'm going to so, bake a cake in the shape of a shoe but nonetheless I'll eat it. However, so, I don't believe are, that's going to happen. No, I did not cut down the camera, Paul. Are you sure? I'm positive.
3: Have you got have you got anybody who can verify your whereabouts for the, the those times?
0: I think so. I was probably snoring so my beloved could almost certainly confirm my whereabouts.
3: You so you're saying there's no way that you could sneak out and cut down that camera? I don't know. I don't
0: know. She's a pretty light sleeper. How about that?
3: You know what? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to contact the chief and uh, you know just put a little bug in his ear, suggesting that maybe he keeps an eye on you.
0: Here's the God's honest truth, Paul. I'm just gonna be fully upfront about this. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Like, what do you use? I'm guessing not a chainsaw, but I don't know. I don't no, know how to cut it down.
3: Operated, battery operated saws all. not that I'm suggesting I was just going s- to How
0: would you know, Paul? because you're a resourceful fella
3: yeah, the, uh you know, it's, it, it wouldn't hey, listen, people can uh pull into a uh the, um, the bank machine and hook up a chain to them and rip them right out of the wall you know to take down a speed camera. you know, hey, they haven't done that recently. I shouldn't say that. it'll give somebody ideas.
0: Could you imagine the carnage, the, the speed camera carnage, if we get up to 175 and we continue seeing this stuff happen? There will be, like, be photo radar cameras lying on their sides everywhere.
3: No, they'll be advertised for sale on Kijiji. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have a great day, Paul. You too. Thank Bye. you. <laughs> Bye-bye. The other thing that occurred to me in this regard is this. We talk and talk and talk about this program being, quote, and this is one of my favorite phrases, revenue neutral. Don't worry, taxpayers of Waterloo Region. In other words, please don't worry, you listening to the show this morning. It's not going to cost you anything, right? Because all the money that we spend, all the money that our local government spends, acquiring, installing, and even monitoring the cameras and administering the tickets... It's okay. It's all going to be paid by the revenue generated by all of the tickets issued. Okay. Are we also factoring in the vandalism? Because this is three times on just one camera. And I don't think we've seen anything yet. One final reminder. Region of Waterloo. It's not too late to change course on the photo radar madness. It's not too late. Nobody, nobody will look at you and say, ah, you back trap, you flip-flopper. They would say, you know what? Thanks for coming to your senses. That's what they would say. If you want them to say that, stop the speed camera madness. All right, we're going to take a quick break. The que- I wanted to ask you a question this morning. Can I ask you a question? Are you in the mood to answer something for me? Because I've been, I've been tossing this around in that big, cavernous, empty space between my ears. I even asked one of my coworkers, workers Christine, about it this morning to get her thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. Do you. Would you like more open line opportunity on this show? Like, I feel like we do quite a bit, but, but you know, we had this meeting last week, and I'm thinking after that meeting and some of the conversations we had, maybe we need even more. Would you? Do you think we need more? Or, or, or have we struck a good balance right now? Phone lines are open at this moment, for that matter. If you think we need more opportunities like this, I am I'm here to hear from you. This is our own little unscientific survey of you, the loyal listener to the program. Would you like more opportunity to call in during open line times on this show? You know, the new year would be a great time to implement such a an idea if you're up for it. 519-570-2545, star 570. 1-800-570-5715. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. 9.24, six minutes away from your 9.30 update in the City News Center. And then getting into the story about the free little pantry that's been there providing free stuff for years and all of a sudden it seems to be causing quite a bit of a stir in the neighborhood in Cambridge where it's located. That conversation coming up after the 9 30 news. Right now still time to talk to you as we always make room for on the show. Love to hear from you on the phones. Let's go to the phones now. Paul good morning.
4: Good morning Mike. Uh, lovely Monday cloudy over
0: eh? <laughs> it's pretty gloomy out there yes.
4: Yeah, uh, so you started your program this morning about the uh, gun violence, the shootings that we had this weekend in Kitchener. Yes, sir. And you're wondering what is going on with that? Well, I'd like to ask a question to those people that have been protesting about defund the police and all of that. Can you imagine what that victim must be thinking in the out-of-city hospital Yeah, when the chief calls them up in the hospital bed and says, sorry, we don't have enough manpower to solve your crime, so sorry about that. We'll just have to let this one write it off the books and sorry about that. Defund? Are you kidding me? This is the time that we need to give them their budget to hire these special investigators that do nothing but investigate crimes like this. This is the time. Not defund. It's more funding. Yeah, okay, we're paying overtime and all that, people that are off on comp. I get that. But come on, this poor person is suffering with a gunshot wound, and who knows if it's ever going to get solved. We really don't know. This is the time to fund them more, in my opinion.
0: All right, Paul, appreciate the call. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. As you probably know, The requested increase to the police budget was approved at Regional Council last week, so there is more funding this year, and there is more hiring to be done if the service is able to make those hires in the year ahead. Ranger Joe, my good man, good morning. Mikey, how are you? I'm excellent, thank you. How are you?
5: I'm just fine and dandy, Mike. Good. I uh, I do uh, agree with your last caller just now, 100%, you know, Uh, We need to support the police more. Uh, They need more um, systems in place to fight, uh, you know, to fight this kind of crime because gun violence is definitely going up, and it's kind of scary to all of us, you know, to be honest with you. But uh, the other reason I'm really phoning in about was uh, those cameras that you were talking about. Uh, You know, right now, for example, Mike, let's say if a speed limit is 60 kilometers an hour, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, most of us would go a maximum of 70. I'll even set my cruise control at 70. And I've been doing this for over 50 years, and I've never gotten a speeding ticket that way. My question is, with these cameras, um, do they have some kind of a leeway? Like, if it's a 60-kilometer zone, at what point are they going to give us a ticket? That's kind of what I'm wondering, Michael.
0: Yeah, you know what, Joe? It's a great question, and I don't think we know the answer to that, to be honest. But clearly, what we've learned from two people, anecdotally, I will grant you, that shared their story with me, they got tickets doing 12 over, 42 in a posted 30 from a photo radar camera. I suspect, yes, some leeway is built in. How much? Five kilometers? Six? Three? No idea. I do think, though, and I'll just use this as one more opportunity to reinforce what I think, I think the idea of 175 speed cameras in this region in the next five years is downright nutty. That's what I think. An update from the City News Center. And then the story of the free little pantry in Cambridge that suddenly has become the object of quite a stir in the neighborhood. That conversation coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. This next story was brought to my attention by one of you. And I'm very grateful for that. Thank you for being my eyes and ears out there. And it certainly struck me as the kind of grinchy story that would be very much worth talking about at this time of year. So I sent a few messages, made a couple of phone calls, and here we are able to have the conversation about the Free Little Pantry on Jarvis Street in Cambridge. It's it's been there for quite some time, but suddenly of late it seems to be causing a bit of a stir in the neighborhood. Audrey Hill is the owner, the founder of that particular Free Little Pantry and joins us for a chat this morning. Audrey, good morning. Good morning. Can you take us back to the beginning? When did you start your free little pantry?
6: Sure. So we uh, built and installed the pantry on our property in July of 2020 in response to um, the increased uh, need during the pandemic. We were seeing a lot of, uh, you know, the news was talking about the increased amount of people accessing food banks and things like that. And we also noticed that, Um, You know, if the schools were closed, a lot of the families that relied on the different meal and nutrition programs were unable to access those programs. So that was kind of what spurred it on.
0: So more than three years now, this free little pantry has been sitting in the front yard of your home in Cambridge. And and I get the sense from what I learned and read this weekend, Audrey, up until very recently, this free little pantry just did what you wanted it to do. and, And nobody really seemed to care too much. That's
6: correct. So um, I think there was a write-up in a few different newspapers, and I was on the news, and I actually won a YWCA Women of Distinction Award for the pantry, and the um, I believe the category was humanitarianism and volunteerism um, and our work helping our community. So up until November, we got nothing but positive feedback.
0: What is it that inspires you to that sort of humanitarian side that... You know, you you mentioned that the need was identified even with the increased need for food banks way back in July of 2020, but not everybody starts a free little pantry. What is it about you and and your family that moved you in this direction?
6: I think i had seen them online previously, and I was inspired by that. I, I, when I became a parent, we started really thinking about, you know, what we wanted to teach our kids and the sort of world that we wanted to leave for our kids. And I have this idea that we should be leaving it better than how we found it. And we've been in a position of privilege um, to have the ability to help others whenever needed. And, you know, we own the house, so it, it made sense. We didn't think there would be any issue. Um, and it's it's a passion of mine. I I firmly believe that we should We are put on this earth to help others and to give back whenever we can.
0: I think it's a wonderful outlook, and I've seen a number of these pantries in my immediate neighborhood in Kitchener as well. I think it's terrific. So you you mentioned, Audrey, and, and really it's the reason for this conversation that this pantry for more than three years exists in your front yard. It's a part of the neighborhood. And it wasn't until November of this year, so about a month ago, that suddenly it became the object of some concern. What happened?
6: That's right. So, actually, my husband and I were out of town that day, and a bylaw officer came by and spoke to my father-in-law, who lives with us but is not the homeowner, and just said that, uh, I believe it was November 13th, he said that there had been a complaint by one of the neighbors. Um, he used this. He referenced that apparently one of our neighbors had called bylaw to complain that the pantry was bringing homeless people to the neighborhood. Um, and then he had informed us that. Uh, according to his records, the city of Cambridge owns 16 feet from the curb in, which extends to essentially my entire front yard. And that we had to move the property off of what they consider to be city property and onto private property, which would essentially bring the pantry up to the front of my house.
0: So basically, what you've learned is that this has been a, shall we say, illegal little pantry for three years now? Apparently.
6: And so um, I had informed bylaw that we would be happy to comply once they could show us a copy of the land survey. Um, again, we wouldn't knowingly erect something on city property without permission, as far as we've been aware, for the seven years that we've owned the house. It's our property. I mean, we're the ones doing the snow removal and the lawn maintenance and things like that.
0: So fast forward to December the 15th, just a few days ago, and you received a letter from the City of Cambridge.
6: That's right. So the City of Cambridge bylaw officer um, attended my house, I want to say around 5 o'clock in the evening on the Friday, right before the holidays when most municipal offices are shutting down, with a letter stating that we were to remove the pantry effective December 31st. which was kind of surprising to me because when I had thought back to November, I had been calling the city planning office. I spoke to multiple bylaw officers. I spoke to our ward counselor, and I had said repeatedly, if I can be provided with a survey that shows what where the city line is and where my property line is, I would be happy to move it. I got no response from anyone. No one answered my emails. No one answered my phone calls. So back in November, I kind of thought, okay, maybe there was a clerical error, and they're just letting this go.
0: Are you aware, Audrey, of any problems associated with the free little pantry on your property?
6: No, I'm not. So, And I've had this discussion with people. um, I have never had any sort of incidents of vandalism, anyone um, entering my property. In fact, we get occasional thank you notes in the pantry. Um, People will stop us and thank us. Um, You know, I've gotten nothing negative. And it's not just what we consider to be like the unhoused population who are accessing the pantry we the pantry supports a number of families uh who are just you know doing their best They're you know if you have to pick between paying rent and paying groceries obviously you're going to want to keep a roof over your head and your children's head uh these are families that go to school with my kids at manchester school next door
0: are you in any way uh close geographically is there in close proximity audrey any shelter spaces or any encampments like we've seen around the region
6: absolutely absolutely, and I think you'll if you talk to a lot of people in various neighborhoods they will say there are lots of encampments around so the pantry is about I want to say a kilometer and a half away from the bridge's shelter um, and then there are a number of encampments nearby um, you know we live on near train tracks and so yeah there's there's there are encampments. All over the region, I can guarantee you that. I used to work in housing, too. So there are encampments in all sorts of neighborhoods, whether they're visible or not.
0: And what is it that you stock your free little pantry with?
6: Non-perishable food items and hygiene items. So typically our number, our sort of high-priority asks are things that are portable and easy for folks to eat if they're on the go. Granola bars, um, applesauce pockets. Um, instant noodles, things like that. And then we also have um, toothpaste, toothbrushes are the biggest sort of need. A lot of folks uh, are very happy when they find the toothbrushes there, so that's actually really hard for us to keep in. But also pads, tampons, and then in the colder months, we stock things like clean, dry socks, mittens, hats, scarves, uh, hand warmers and feet warmers.
0: And how often are you restocking your pantry?
6: I mean, I work full time, but I, I if I was home, it would be multiple times a day. I've actually sort of, uh, I've done a video before over what 36 hours looks like restocking the pantry, but often we are stocking it multiple times a day. Um, we do have a back room in our house that we keep overflow donations in, and we try to sort of um, ration them out to make sure that they last as long as possible. So I could spend all day restocking the pantry every day of the week.
0: I I was curious about that piece too. You mentioned donations. So this isn't just your family that manage. well, you manage it, but donations come in from elsewhere to help stock it?
6: Absolutely. So I have, I created a Facebook page uh like a little group where I will often put a post up if we need again say granola bars, applesauce, toothpaste, anything's like anything like that. Uh people are welcome to drop off donations either in the pantry or on my porch. I've also gone and picked them up. And then we also created an Amazon wish list a while ago so that folks can just order and have it delivered to my house without having to get in their car, especially when we were, you know, on lockdown in the middle of the pandemic. And then other community organizations fundraise for it. So Wild Heart Yoga in downtown Cambridge, which used to be Moto Yoga up until recently. Their October fundraiser uh, was for our pantry. So they fundraised non-perishable food and then also uh, a large cash donation, which went towards gift cards that I used at Dollarama to restock.
0: So according to the letter from the city of Cambridge, Audrey, you have uh, two weeks, right, until December the 31st to remove any items that are currently placed on city-owned property, which is that 16 feet in front of your home where the pantry now sits, what are you going to do?
6: I'm still trying to figure that out, to be honest. Um, the bio officer did actually make an amendment and say that it's now 10 feet from the edge of the sidewalk, which essentially is the equivalent to 16 feet. Um, I'm curious, too, in that most of my neighbors have other structures erected on the property, on their front lawns, whether it's fences, things like that. Um, i'm still looking into whether the codes that were cited on the enforcement order are actually actually cover uh, my property i have a friend who used to work for a different municipality who went through the 300 page city bylaw paperwork and said that the codes aren't even the correct ones to have been put on the notice um honestly i'm just really hoping that the city backs down. I, I. This is such a passion project of mine. It's so important to my family. It's such a pillar of the community. Um, and it's not going to stop our unhoused neighbors from being in the community. All it's going to do is create massive, massive need and strife if it's forcibly removed.
0: Why not just set it back the 10 feet or the 16 feet that the city is asking?
6: So there's two reasons. Um one, it brings it all the way back to my property, like to my actual house, I mean. And one of the benefits of the, of the pantry is that it's low barrier and it's anonymous, right? I'm not here gatekeeping who can grab what. Um, I firmly believe that, you know, people who are struggling or are house neighbors deserve a level of dignity and agency and discussion. Um, the other issue that I face is that because we have a shared lawn, my concern is that if we move the pantry back and then, um, you know, I'd like to be able to put a walkway or something safe so that no one slips, especially in the wintertime, the city is then going to give me a hard time about a pathway if we put down stone pavers or what have you.
0: I, I noticed that in the Facebook page uh, post, pardon me, on, on the page that you've created for your pantry, uh, you you tagged or mentioned organizations like the Trinity Community Table, some other free pantries or community fridges, the food bank, etc. Have you considered just instead of operating your own little free pa- pantry, you just donate to those organizations?
6: So that was actually recommended to me by one of the ward councillors uh, when I reached out back in November. There's a few challenges with that. The food bank in Cambridge and Waterloo Region, and this is not a criticism at all, this is how most food banks are run, those food banks require proof of income support in order to access it. So someone has to provide either their OW or their ODSP or their old age pension paperwork. Um, The barrier with that too is that it's only open during, like people can only access it during opening hours, right? And then when we think about We know that food costs are rising. We know that interest rates are rising, things like that. There's a lot of folks accessing the pantry who aren't on assistance. They're working really hard. So they wouldn't be eligible to access the food bank anyways. The other challenge is that uh, Trinity Community Table is a fantastic organization. My mom volunteers there. They are amazing. They're only open for lunch, a hot lunch, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Again, that creates a lot of barriers for people who... um, what, what, you're just not going to eat the other four days of the week or you're only going to have one meal a day? Um, these pantries exist because the current supports in place are not able to meet the need. If the current supports in Cambridge, Waterloo Region, what have you, were able to meet the needs of the community, then the pantries would be obsolete. So the fact that they exist and are used heavily indicates that we're not, we're not, we're not meeting the gap. There's a giant gap, and you can say the same thing about housing. You can say the same thing about income support. We're not meeting the need of the people.
0: You've had a, a few days to digest the most recent letter. You mentioned already there's a, a bit of an amendment from 16 feet to 10 feet, for example. But how are you feeling about all of this, Audrey? Three years after starting your pantry, and all of a sudden, it seems to be a bit of a lightning rod.
6: I'm so broken hearted. I'm so sad that there is someone in my community who has so much hate in their heart for people that they don't know that they would do this. I'm so sad that um, humanity is like this. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so ashamed to live in Cambridge right now. Um, I, am, I, I think the first little while I was in shock and I cried a lot. Um, this is really a passion of mine. It's a passion project. It's something I'm deeply proud of. Um, and, you know, I, I work in social services. I work with the unhoused and people who are struggling with addiction. And, um, a lot of times this work sort of feels like I'm in a rowboat that's taking on water and all I have is a teaspoon to bail myself out, but at least I'm trying. So it's really disheartening and, um, it's devastating. It's so devastating, especially this time of year, right? Like Merry Christmas, the city of Cambridge doesn't want us feeding people.
0: Have you had the opportunity over the years to have any conversations with the folks who have taken advantage of your free little pantry?
6: Absolutely. So like I said, we often will receive little handwritten letters or things like that. Um, I have conversations all the time. There was one in particular I remember we were unloading our vehicle um, and there was a woman and a man at the pantry It was the middle of the day. And the woman came up to me and she said, I just want to thank you. All of my stuff got stolen three days ago, and I haven't been able to brush my teeth. And the fact that there's a toothbrush and toothpaste here, I am so excited to just be able to brush my teeth. And I remember thinking, what a privilege that is. And something that's so easily taken for granted, just a basic a basic hygiene um, item that this person didn't have, had no means of purchasing. But because we could provide it for them, they this woman got to feel a little
0: bit of human dignity audrey i really admire what you do and i really appreciate your time as well on the show this morning thanks very much for being here
6: Thanks. you have a great day
0: you too bye-bye bye now audrey hill is the operator of the little free pantry on jarvis in cambridge and it has become as you heard in that conversation a bit of a lightning rod in the neighborhood when I first heard the story, my immediate reaction was, come on, city of Cambridge. Like, could you be any grinchier, all things considered, this time of year? But then, uh, uh, the more I thought about it, and, you know, the more messages I sent and phone conversations I had, I came to the conclusion that the city doesn't really have much it can do about this. If you receive a complaint and you go and investigate that complaint, well... You're just doing your job. So maybe the the real Grinch is the person who issued the original complaint. But you know what? It's your neighborhood too. And if this is something that leaves you feeling unsettled or unsafe, I think you should be able to raise your voice and say, hey, this is making me feel unsettled and or unsafe. There are other organizations that can provide these sorts of things, but I hear where Audrey is coming from, and this is barrier-free access to really essential items, be they hygiene products or food. So I admire her for what she's doing. You could just move it the 10 or 16 feet back and go from there. But the biggest thing that comes out of this for me is what it's telling me about the number of people in dire need in our community, right? They are living unhoused, they are likely in tents, not far from the other side of those railroad tracks that Audrey mentioned, and this is a place that they can come and find some hygiene products, find some warm clothes in the wintertime, find some, most importantly, food. And that, to me, is really what the issue is here, and you heard Audrey talk about it. This is a little thing that fills a gap because we've let so many people fall into those gaps. That's kind of where I'm at on this. But wherever you're at, I'd love to hear about it on the show. That's how this works. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570.
6: I work in social services. I work with the unhoused and people who are struggling with addiction. And a lot of times this work sort of feels like I'm in a rowboat that's taking on water and all I have is a teaspoon to bail myself out. But at least I'm trying. So it's really disheartening and it's devastating. It's so devastating, especially this time of year, right? Like, Merry Christmas. The city of Cambridge doesn't want us hating people.
0: That is Audrey Hill, who operates the Free Little Pantry on Jarvis Street. And you can find the pantry itself. Its Facebook page is just that. Little Free Pantry Jarvis. It's in Cambridge. It's been operating for more than three years, but suddenly it has turned into a bit of a problem, and these problems tend to start when a neighbor issues a complaint with the city, which is what has happened. Let's go to the phones. Alana, good morning.
7: Hello, how are you? I'm fine,
0: thank you. How are you? Good,
8: thanks. Good. Um, Yeah, I commend Audrey for what she's doing um I really agree with what you said about like the city being caught after this complaint by a neighbor and I think that's something I've noticed I live in Kitchener I live right near the encampment by the train station there and I think it's so easy um for us to look past um people and what they're going through and experiencing and I think like the community education piece is really missing in waterloo region and something that i wish that neighbors could access more is to learn like why do i feel unsafe when i see unhoused people and how can i um work within myself to like uh make that fear smaller you know when i see people trying to meet their basic needs in my community why am i feeling worried about that um i heard you a couple days ago talking about the price of groceries you know those of us who can pay our rent and buy groceries, it still feels like really hard times. And when you're already unhoused, how much harder is that? And so, um, yeah, I, I'm interested to know if there's more we can do as a community to educate ourselves and confront the, like, fear instinct we have when we see someone who's unhoused and what that means for us.
0: Alana, that's really well said. I appreciate the call. And it reminds me of when that encampment at Weber in Victoria really grew and became a lightning rod itself in the community. And so I went to visit. And yeah, it it took me a second because I had to sort of check myself. And and to Alana's point, why does somebody living in a tent, why is somebody who is unhoused um, someone or something that causes fear or concern in me? And then I walked onto that encampment and it was like walking into any other neighborhood. This is a massive issue in this community and elsewhere. And what we're seeing with this little free pantry on Jarvis Street in Cambridge is just a little microcosm of the much bigger issue. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. about you, but I've been reading quite a bit lately about safe supply drug programs in this country and increasing controversy around them. Several years ago, I would submit to you that it seemed as though the science, if you will, was settled. There was an evidence-based approach to providing safer supply to essentially, among other things, but primarily, save lives. But after moving in this direction several years ago, there are some cracks beginning to appear in the programs that exist, many out west. And there was a front page story in last week's Globe and Mail talking about a controversy in nearby london just about an hour from here in southwestern ontario michael parkinson is a drug strategies specialist and an occasional contributor to this program also a good friend somebody i've known for a number of years now And, and michael shared with me last week that waterloo region's only safer supply program may very well be in jeopardy at this moment michael as always thanks for making the time and good morning Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. What is it that puts our Safer Supply program here very much, in your words, at risk of death? Uh,
9: Well, uh, it's not for the absence of evidence showing uh, that this program is effective for the roughly 150 people that uh, the program serves. Um, It is uh, much more a function of um, federal funding where... Uh, the Kitchener Waterloo Safer Supply program was uh, funded on a grant that uh, myself and uh, the Working Centre and Sanguine Health Centre wrote several years ago and um, that funding uh, is being discontinued at the federal level so that would affect about 21 programs across uh, Canada including the one here in Kitchener and uh, it would be remiss of me not to add that um, the funding for continuing that program um, has not been forthcoming from uh, you know our provincial government, which is primarily has the jurisdiction for for health uh, here in Ontario. So that's uh, what's facing safer supply programs uh, across Canada is um, is the the discontinuation of funding at the federal level, despite um, lots of evidence of success, you know through uh, multiple peer-reviewed uh, reviews about program evaluations, um, et cetera, and, and fairly high-end kind of evaluations. So uh, I would submit to the listeners that um, that is somewhat political in, in nature.
7: And Here we
0: are. I wondered about that, Michael, because I have sensed the pendulum shifting, as I alluded to kind of in introducing this conversation. Has it, is there a shift, and if so, what might be behind it?
9: Um, I well i you know through through the decades um, you, you know and and none of I want to say like none of my comments are, are partisan in nature um, but but what we 've seen you know through election cycles and, and gearing up for elections um, is sometimes political parties will make a certain group of people or or, or certain issue or issues uh wedge issues right um, and it, it's popular way to try and obtain votes by by picking on uh, people who are often at the margins. So, you know, we both lived through a time where um, crime became an issue and and certain groups of people involved in that um, were were made uh, scapegoats. And um, it may be true, it may not be true, it doesn't really matter. The point is um, parties want to get elected. That's the drive. And what we've seen in... In probably the last year is one uh, federal party uh, and some at the provincial level making safe supply uh, a wedge issue and uh, ramping up all kinds of um, I would say misinformation for sure um, and and, and trying to stoke fear uh, among the the general public um, despite the evidence so That manifests itself in um, the House of Commons, uh, in in Health Services uh, Committees from the House of Commons, uh, in national newspaper, primarily the National Post, where uh, um, a reporter um, has really made it his mission. I think he declared that he wanted to burn this program to the ground back in back in June of of this year, and continues to write um, about safe supply and uh, the negative consequences of it. So um yeah it's political and then more recently for those who are really paying attention the uh british columbia uh chief coroner has resigned and um citing the politicization um of drug related issues in british columbia and the the and the consequences meaning that we're unable to move forward on evidence informed initiatives that would you know, um, prevent death, prevent injury, improve community health and safety, et cetera, et cetera. So here we are. And one more thing, um, for those who are really old enough, and I am, um, if you think back to the first SARS epidemic uh, back in 2003, um, 44 people lost their lives across Canada to SARS. We had commissions and reviews and inquiries And one of those was the Naylor Commission, the Judicial uh, Commission. And um, it recommended unequivocally to separate the politics from the science of fighting uh, public health threats. And uh, that's really became the genesis of the Public Health Agency of Canada and some other initiatives. Um, We still struggle in Canada with separating the politics out of the evidence. And um, the latest victim, of course, is safer supply programs.
0: Um, Yeah, here we are. How do safer supply programs work, Mike?
9: Um, well, they're, they're essentially—they're not for everybody. Let's, uh, let's be clear. Um, they are for people who are at the stage of addiction or, or dependency, primarily to the opioids. Um, and um, what the, what it does is uh, instead of you know spending hundred bucks a day um, uh, funding a, a fentanyl habit. Um, through street sourcing, through uh, um, what it means is you're now seeing a, a medical practitioner, a, a, a nurse practitioner or, or a physician, and um, you're being prescribed prescription opioids in in Ontario it's dilated dates and there are problems with diloted dates, but um, that's the idea is that instead of sourcing, Your drugs and managing your withdrawal through uh, the dog's breakfast—that is the unregulated drug market. You're now getting getting prescription grade um, uh, opioids from a a medical practitioner, and um, there's lots of benefits just in doing that by by not accessing that unregulated market. But that's essentially what it's doing, Um, and it works. And it works like not just for individuals, but but for communities as well. So. Um, you know, you and I were both at a meeting a couple of weeks ago, um, where the neighbors were were really upset about um, uh, a shelter in their neighborhood. That it's not the only neighborhood in Waterloo Region that um, has caused some grief for for neighbors. Um, and you know, one of the primary complaints we heard at that community meeting was um, people breaking into their uh, their shed to steal their bike. Um, and people feeling unsafe uh, in their neighbourhood, in their home. And we've talked before about the relationship um, that exists for some people, not all people, but some people who are homeless and um, uh, addicted to to drugs. And um, the primary intervention for for those folks tends to be the criminal justice system. And um, what Safe Supply does is prevent that from happening. And, you know... Regardless of whether you value people who the lives of people who t- who takes uh, uh, illegal substances or not, there's a financial imperative to do better here. And um, you we know, just come through a round of municipal budgets with all with the increases, of course. Um, and if we're talking about maybe taking some some, some of the heat off those budget increases, uh, we would look at crime and um, safer supply is one of those. Uh, programs that makes dramatic and almost immediate reductions in, you know, break and enters and things like that. Um, in in our research in Waterloo region, we found that people were spending uh, about 120 bucks a day, um, that's about forty four thousand dollars a year on um, primarily fentanyls. And we also found that those forty two people we surveyed who didn't have homes, who who were addicted to drugs, who were trying to manage with their withdrawal. Um, they've been in and out of the criminal justice system like 14 times. So back in napkin math, there's $42 million. Safe supply is is one of those interventions that um, uh, prevents the crime from happening in the first place at a fraction of the cost um, uh, downstream.
0: You mentioned uh, the reporter who wishes to burn this program to the ground and has been reporting on the negative impacts of safer supply programs one of those impacts that I've heard about Michael is folks who obtain uh, these drugs through the safer supply program and then resell them on the black market which floods the streets with more drugs and makes them accessible to more people including young people beyond that are there other impacts that we should be concerned about
9: well, yeah, diversion is the is the term, and and we want to be concerned about it. Um, um, like it's not something to dismiss. So, <clears throat> it's the reporter is right to flag it. I think safe supply programs know that um, it, it's an issue, and and that's why they do urine screens. So, if if someone comes in and they're on a safe supply program, uh, and the dilaudids are not showing up in their in their urine screens, and that's the conversation uh, we need to have. I'm not sure that it's. Um, uh, the language that the reporter is using, uh, you know flooding the streets and uh, all that is, is is reflective of reality um, but um, uh, it, it's something yeah we want to pay attention to um uh, for sure and and then you have those conversations um, the the alternative is people are going to use substances whether we like it or not and you know, you and I have talked about the value of prevention and how difficult that is to fund uh, prevention initiatives that would prevent or delay the onset of substance use in youth. Uh, we still struggle across Canada uh, getting those things off the ground. Some of those diversion issues, um, I, I would suggest, they're, they are structural in, in nature, right? Um, so uh, what that looks like is, you know, the, the, the Ontario Formulary, which governs... which substances are available for physicians to prescribe in in what dosages uh, um, and so on um, that is due for a, an overhaul people have been pleading for years um, to overhaul that so um, yeah diversion is an issue I think um, but it's not as much as 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 this uh, the national post is 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 reporting so um, the people that I know in safe supply programs are are on it and doing the best they can under really difficult circumstances and in here in Kitchener-Waterloo, the, the folks that are being served by the program are among, uh, sort of, quote, uh, you know, the most difficult to serve. They don't have homes. They are they're victims of childhood abuse, trauma, neglect. Um, they are just barely scraping by. And here's a program that has... Um, you know, reduced homelessness amongst them, uh, improved that, their health, reduced crime, reduced reliance on the unregulated market, and taken all that hustle and grind that's necessary to generate 100 bucks a day to, to buy the drugs. And, and that's good news for, for both the individuals involved in the program and, and the broader issues of community health and safety.
0: What are we doing, Michael, to try to save the program, to try to salvage funding and support for it across the country?
9: Um, well, I'm I'm not sure. I, this is this is,
0: yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure. I mean,
9: there's been a letter that's been written and signed last week by 130 people with a lot of letters after their names, you know, physicians and and others, um, encouraging the federal government to to continue funding. Um, the the Ontario government has not shown any interest in in this particular program, and I'm not sure that's going to change. Um, so you know, it comes down to uh, nonprofits who are, are you know <laughs> just trying to get through the day and, and serve the people that they're trying to serve. So uh, massively outgunned at the federal level, I'm, I'm not sure why the, the governing party, in this case, the, the Liberals, are are allowing uh, another party to to dictate policy from from the side. Um, but 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 here we are, and um, in Waterloo Region. Um, you know, we've long, particularly since the Crime Prevention Council was defunded a few years ago, um, there have really been um, no new initiatives that, that have sprung forth, uh, you know, ways to mobilize people and maybe facilitate some conversations with the Ontario health teams, for example, or, or other um, maybe private sources of capital that that could help keep this program going. So it's... It's a population health um, issue. You know, we're we're probably going to look at about a hundred people who have died from um, opioid-related overdoses in Waterloo Region in this year. That's you know about six times the number of people who died in uh, uh, motor vehicle collisions in Waterloo Region. When you compare, you know, just those two issues, for example, you know, we have a plan, we have a strategy, we with targets, timelines, and dedicated resources to reduce motor vehicle collisions, um, and the fatalities down to zero. There is nothing like that for, for drug related issues. Um, it's just a chronic issue that suffers from a lack of leadership and, uh, vision and, and strategic planning with the funding behind it. And, and again, you know, I, I think it's political because you don't get elected, um, or there's a perception you don't get elected by getting serious about reducing drug related deaths. Um, it's hard to know that. It's hard to detect that it's on on the radar um, in the way that it should be, in the way that we responded to that first SARS epidemic, in the way we respond to other important but less common forms of death and injury. So, you know, it comes down to volunteers and struggling nonprofits to do the best they can against the tidal wave, and um, it, that's re- it's really unfortunate because, like I said, uh, even if you know the the general population and politicians um, civil service if they don't even if you don 't value the people of, uh, the lives of people who who rely on that unregulated drug drug market, there is a financial imperative to do better um, and, and and what will happen is you know we'll'll we'll spend millions and millions of dollars through the criminal justice system, through the emergency rooms and so on and so forth uh, to no one's benefit, uh, certainly not the taxpayers. so kind of drives me nuts as you, as you know. Um, and just to put a bow on it, I mean last uh, last late last week, probably Friday, um, the the uh, the the federal sort of round table, these are the top docs uh, at public health agency of Canada and so on. Uh, They reported that in the first six months of this year across Canada, um, it was the highest number of opioid-related deaths that uh, they'd seen since monitoring began in 2016. So it's about 4,000 people who had died in the first six months of this year. And hospitalizations um, were at their highest level. So that's 40,000 hospitalizations just in the first six months of this year. I've never met anyone who works in an emergency room or in a hospital who, who who's crying out for more work. Um, we should be working to reduce um, the burden on those systems. But here we are. It's it's political for sure.
0: I know it drives you nuts, and yet you keep moving forward. I've always admired it about you, and I continue to do so. Uh, Michael, thanks for making time for the show today.
9: Thank you so much, Mike.
0: Michael Parkinson is a drug strategies specialist. He says, our region's only safer supply program is at risk. Because of this increased politicization. Politicization, I don't know why I have such a hard time with it lately, but I'm going to have to take that word out of my vocabulary. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570.
9: It's really unfortunate because, like I said, even if the general population and politicians and civil service, even if you don't value the lives of people who rely on that unregulated drug market, there is a financial imperative to do better. And and, and what will happen is we'll spend millions and millions of dollars through the criminal justice system, through the emergency rooms and so on and so forth, uh, to no one's benefit.
0: Michael Parkinson is a drug strategies specialist. He informs us this morning that increased politicization, politicization, politicization puts our safer supply program, the only one we have here in the region at risk we are at risk of being late for news on our way there to get you an update from the city news center and then what got us talking in 2023 oh you know that little story about how the marathon of hope almost never happened it's coming up on the mike farwell show this is city news 570 I can't believe we only have three more shows together after this one in 2023. I'll be away Friday and then it's the Christmas break and we'll return on January the 2nd. In the meantime, we like to take the opportunity at this time of year to listen back to some of our most interesting and sometimes controversial, conversations uh, of the past year. This one certainly falls into the interesting category. It was a conversation with Bill Viggers, who is the author of Terry and Me, the inside story of the Marathon of Hope. And the inside story tells us that the Marathon of Hope almost ended right after it started. let's listen back to this conversation we had in late August with Bill viggers, the Marathon of Hope Bill did we know like you were you were inside essentially the Canadian Cancer Society at the time? Did you know what this thing was going to become
10: i i, I talked to Terry a few times on the phone, um pay phones by the way, there was no such thing as internet <laughs> and cell phones and <laughs> right collect and um. Well, he was in uh, Nova Scotia, and then I flew down to New Brunswick and spent two days with him. And I knew by noon hour of that day that I was with somebody different and somebody special. Um, And I did, in those two days, realize by watching how he affected people and it was a a rural area where we at the end of a concession road and he'd be running, and there'd be very a trans Canada highway, but it was only two lanes, giant trucks roaring by, and at the end of the concession road would be ten people, maybe a couple of families, and I could see how emotionally they were affected, just watching him run and I was too from the moment at five o'clock in the morning when I saw him running in the darkness, My first reaction was this is." this is something, this is something unusual, something different, something special. And, and then the first night I watched him talk in a, in a small town, 500 people in the center of the, of the, of the community. And uh, he spoke from the heart. There was no speech writers for Terry. He talked about how the kids in the cancer boards had changed him as a human and, and why he was running and complete silence. Um, and it was different emotions that he he, he, uh, elicited, a a lot of tears, but a lot of smiles, too. I I think, you know, he brought hope to people. I like to say, and the longer it goes after the run, the more I see that. But I had a pretty good idea that once we got into a populated area, into Ontario, this thing had the potential of exploding.
0: And so in light of that, from that time you met him in Atlantic Canada, he's still got to go through Quebec, and then here we are into our most populous province. How much work did you have to do to ensure that once Terry arrived in Ontario, he was met with the kind of fanfare that we know in hindsight he was met with?
10: Well, my background, I was 23 at the time, I had been in radio um, at 18 years old. Um, I had been um, involved in community events. I grew up in Saint Thomas, so I, I knew how small communities work. So when I met him, I came on the plane. I'm going, okay, maybe we can do this. Maybe we can get somebody to fly mom and dad in to surprise him. Uh, maybe it's got we got to hit it big in Toronto, uh, and uh, particularly if we want it to become a national story. The hard part came with uh, trying to convince uh, a, a segment of the Ontario division of the Cancer Society to even get involved, and they almost didn't uh, because the the operation of the society and is absolutely no reflection on the society, Cancer Society. It's a wonderful organization then and it is today, the but then it was volunteer operated, so that the national office could say yes, we're supporting Terry Fox. But they could not force Ontario Division. Ontario Division could not force the other seven districts of which Toronto and Hamilton were the two biggest and the two that didn't want to get involved. And their reasoning was is they did not have the volunteer uh, power, manpower. And I tried to convince them that you don't need it. It's just a self-fulfilling, it just happens. And it came down to this meeting where it was, it's, Ontario Division almost took a pass on Ontario, literally. Uh, And they had this meeting and volunteers came from across the province. Um, I'm sitting on a step with a suitcase ready to join Kerry in Quebec because he's being kicked off the road there by the police. Um, And this meeting goes on for two hours. And at the end of it, there's a vote. Hamilton changes their mind. Toronto doesn't. By the way, I got a letter from them. A weeks later, which I still have in my box of stuff, inviting me to welcome Terry Fox to Toronto. I always wrote him back and went, sorry, I'm busy that day.
7: <laughs>
10: uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it, the vote passed, and, and uh, the next morning, I'm on the highway with him, uh, halfway between Montreal and Drummondville. And uh, it was the greatest summer and the greatest uh adventure of my life and I'm 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 so honored and so blessed that I was able to be part of it.
0: What do you recall Bill or or what did you know then about Terry's state of mind, his morale after, you know, being threatened by quebec police you got to get off the road unless you have this slow runner sign and you know it's too dangerous atlantic canada where there wasn't as much media attention fundraising was falling short of what terry had hoped to raise how was he doing through that
10: he was bummed out the first time i talked to him on the phone um pay phone he's in sheet harbor nova scotia and i say to him "Listen, when you come down, Terry, what do you want to do and again, I, I repeat, I, I'm a small town guy. I just moved to Toronto. I was sleeping on my cousin's couch. Um, and uh, he says, yeah, I'd like to meet Bobby Orr and Daryl Sittler, and I want to go to a Blue Jays game, the CN Tower, and I want to meet Pierre Trudeau. I'm at the other end of the phone going, you know, not, he doesn't know it, but I'm saying, oh, Jesus, that's a list. Okay. <laughs> I said, well call me back tomorrow see what I can do and and I wanted to give him hope for lack of a better phrase so when he called back the next day I said okay Sittler's on Blue Jays are on CN Tower's on Uh, Orr is going to be in Europe but you'll find us somewhere along the road and Trudeau was out of the country so I couldn't get an answer then although we did eventually meet him and um, I was able to boost his spirits and then when I left him in New Brunswick I said to him listen not much is going to happen in Quebec don't don't get don't get down i said i promise you when you get to ontario it's all going to change i was bluffing i hadn't even started so when i came back to ontario um i started driving back and forth between toronto and and and, and ottawa and all those little towns calidar Marmara, uh talking to you know whether it was the lions club or the women's institute and i had a couple of polaroid pictures and i said this kid's running across canada can you do something when he gets here? And they all do, well, if he makes it this far, we'll do something. I said, he's going to be here. And I can tell you exactly the date he's going to be here because Terry and I had sat down and went 26 miles, 26 miles, 26 miles. So I was able to say, he'll be here on July the 8th. And when we got to Sudbury, he was only two days behind that schedule. And then people um, stepped in randomly, through the rest of the time that i was there and that whether it was a provincial police officer driving behind him or a motel owner who gave us a room to sleep in for the night that karma brought people in at the right time randomly to help terry on the road and it was truly um they opened their hearts uh, to terry because as soon as they as i said earlier i think i said earlier nobody wrote his speeches everything he said came directly from the heart and he moved people watching him run move people um and and it was a very emotional summer and writing the book was extremely emotional too because i had to relive it all the things that i thought i had come to terms with 43 years ago i found out i
0: hadn't what did you have to come to terms with
10: the ending a lot of it there was many times when i'm writing the book where i would get into a particular story and I, I the ending is obvious an obvious one like literally the ending where we drive into the airport uh, where i would break down and sob while i'm i'm, I'm writing it and uh i still do sometimes um even talking about it and uh uh, and I would be completely emotionally drained. And, and I remember I'd come out into my office and i kind of slump, uh, slump on the couch in the living room. And my wife, Sherry, God bless her, would just come over and gently put her hand on my shoulder and say, keep going, you're doing a good thing. We've got to tell the story. And I tried to tell a story that Carrie was not uh, uncomfortable with being referred to as a hero. Um, he thought people had put him up on this pedestal and forgot why he was doing it. And I wanted to tell the story about who Terry was as a human being, um, the challenges he had that you didn't see. I so, instance, all that politics that went on. was all behind the scenes. I never let him know what was going on because he had a hard enough time running to, for him to know that there was people making him run out of his way. There were people wanting him to do this. They were trying to market him. Um, so I would fight the battle without him knowing because I, I didn't as I say it was hard enough first off running and then carrying all the emotional weight that he carried with him with the hopes of other people where we'd be at a rest stop and people would come and talk to him about their own personal battles with cancer or maybe a loved one who passed away with it and he he had always time to listen comfort people and it Even during the run, it amazed me how he was able to carry people's hopes and and their sadness, in addition to having to do the physical part of the run.
0: What was it, Bill, that so captivated you? What was it about Terry that made you go through all of this effort to ensure that the Marathon of Hope became essentially what we remember it to be by the time he reached Ontario?
10: who he was as a person, who he was as a friend, who he was as the individual, the, the his personality, his his quality of his, his, his uh, human qualities. He was funny. Um, that's a, a side of him. A lot of people do not know that he was a dry sense of humor and very funny. And, um, the last time I saw him alive was at the hospital in, in Port Coquitlam, actually in New Westminster. And um, we said our goodbyes and it was in October of 1980 and he passed away in June. They knew that I probably wasn't going to be able to come back and visit him. And um, my kids actually came out to visit because my kids were eight and nine and they traveled with us on most of the run. They had gone home from Toronto, but they actually came back and joined us in Kitchener and up until the, the end. And, um, they'd left the room, and i I got to the door of the room, and I turned around and I walked over and i I hugged him and I told him I loved him and and for some reason, I said, "I will keep make your story live forever and that's the reason I wrote the book is it's forty three years later. two generations know Terry from what they know about at my school. We have new Canadians. But they don 't know who Terry is as a human being, and I think the more you know Terry Fox, the more you 're going to appreciate what he did, what he accomplished, and what the legacy that he 's left behind
0: it, it strikes me that that one of those legacies is really the way in which he went about fundraising because you 've articulated so well the reluctance, if not the outright fatigue on some of the chapters within the Canadian Cancer Society through no fault of their own. But the daffodil campaign remains to be such a, an important part of fundraising. And all of a sudden, they've got this guy who says he's going to run from one coast to the other. I mean, it must have made people's heads spin a little bit.
10: Well, that was part of the reason why the Cancer Society... They would, uh, I had just joined them. I found out that part of my job was organizing that daffodil campaign, shipping all the daffodils from... The west coast and organizing the delivery to everybody and in the middle of it this guy comes in and it's something that the cancer society was had never dealt with um there were some of them were not comfortable with they could maybe he's going to be one shot maybe he's going to be nothing nobody could really see unless unless you actually saw him run the moment you saw him run from across in front of you um, and of course, everybody across the country they saw it on television. and Everything, but there are so many people, particularly in Ontario, and in the Kitchener-Guelph area. There, they were they like, line the streets. Somebody described it was like there were so many people, it was like the Christmas parade. And I have a, a couple of wonderful memories of Kitchener that are, you know, there are parts of the run that are just ingrained in my memory because they were so emotional or so out there. Um, and if I, I have time, I one of the things that happened to us in Kitchener, we're at a rest stop, and this young man comes over to us, and he's got a guitar case. And um, he he hands the guitar case to Terry. And he said, I don't have any money. This is all I have. Maybe you can pawn it and get some money. And he walked away into the crowd. And and we're kind of left. But, and then Terry goes, we can't take this. We can't take this guitar. And then we got on the radio. By the way, radio, and I know you're doing a segment later of the importance of radio. Radio was what made um, the run because that was the only way we were able to communicate with the public. If he had to stop and take a rest, uh, usually he ran for 12 miles, but he may in the morning, he may have to stop two hours because whatever. The only way we were able to communicate is go over to the radio cruises and tell all the radio guys, okay, he's gone to bed, he'll be up in two hours, and they were able to uh, tell the public. That's how we found that guy with with uh, with the guitar. We went to the radio station. Somebody figured out who he was, and uh, myself and Daryl Terry's brother drove over to his house and gave him back his guitar, and thanked him and gave him a T-shirt and a couple of things. But I, I even remember the street. It was it was the main street of Kitchener. I can remember it was coming down a hill, and I think on one side there was a cement wall. Um, maybe even a church there, but it was right downtown. And, and in my, in my mind, I can, I can still see it. I can still see where we stopped there. And there were so many moments in the, in the run like that that it was easy in some instances for me to write the book because I'm not a writer. I, I love to tell stories, as you can see. And so I wrote the book as though. I was telling the person who was reading it as a story, and I tried to get them to feel what it was like in the van, what it was like to be there for dinner after, um, to make it more than just watching him run with that painful look on his face. And that's why the cover book has that smile, because that's how I remember him.
0: Absolutely, absolutely incredible. Where can we find the book, Bill?
10: It just went on sale um, Tuesday. Um, you can order it from Sutherland House Books, but it, uh, it's slowly coming into all the stores. Uh, it should be in Chapters and Indigo and the other bookstores. Um, some of them have them, some of them don't. But if, if your bookstore doesn't have it, ask them to order it. It it uh, the reaction from people is, uh, which I'm very pleased with. The one page I'm I'm, I'm crying, and the next page I'm laughing, <laughs> and and it it shows who he was. Do I have time to tell one funny to- story story about Terry?
0: Absolutely, please do.
10: Okay, we're in Sault Saint Marie. Actually, we're up in Terrace Bay. Terry thinks he's broken his ankle. We fly up because uh, I happen to have been, been in Toronto. We charter to plane. We fly up overnight, pick him up. He refuses to get on the plane. We said, we're not going to sponsor you anymore if you don't get on that darn plane. We fly him back to the Sioux. He gets x-rayed, and it turns out it's just serious shin shin splints. Um, And um, he wants to go back and start running again. They want him to stay off his feet for a week. The only way we can do it is we uh, tell him the bus has already gone through town, and there's only one every two days. It came through about every four hours. But anyway, as we're leaving the hospital, there's a media scrum, and the uh, reporters are, you know, asking them questions, and some guy goes, "Terry, which one of your ankles is bothering you?" And Terry just kind of slowly turned his head and looked at the guy with a smile and went, "The one I don't
0: have." <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. Of course so he that did. That was Terry, and that's what
10: you're going to find out what uh, what a um, neat guy he was.
0: Bill, this has just been terrific. Uh, Thank you so much for not only documenting this story in book form, but for sharing these stories with us on the show today. I'm very grateful.
10: Thank you very much. And don't forget the annual Terry Fox run, September the 17th. Uh, Read the book. It'll really motivate you to get
0: back out there again and fight cancer. Great reminder. Bill, stay well. Thank you again. Thank you very much, Mike. Bye-bye. Bill Viggers is the author of Terry and Me, the inside story of Terry Fox's Marathon of Hope. He joined us for a conversation back in the summer, and I still want to find the guy with the guitar case. Oh, my goodness gracious. Some great stories from Bill, and you can find the book in your local bookstore. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570.
10: The reason I wrote the book is it's 43 years later. Two generations know Terry from what they know about him at school. We have new Canadians, but they don't know who Terry is as a human being. And I think the more you know Terry Fox, the more you're going to appreciate what he did, what he accomplished, and what the legacy that he's left behind.
0: Bill Viggers is the author of Terry and Me, the inside story of Terry Fox's Marathon of Hope and What a Treat It Was to speak with bill and hear those stories on our show today and in this past year one of the stories that really got us talking here on the program the next hour is yours it's an hour that tends to get you talking on a regular basis every monday from 11 until noon we open the phone lines for a little something we call rant or rave so it's time for you to get it off your chest and on to the air. Right after this update from the City News Center, the phone lines open to you on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570.
7: I want to know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide.
0: I want to know what you're feeling. Tell
7: me what's on your mind.
0: And so we begin another Monday together. Our last opportunity for this before the Christmas break. And look, I'll just pull back the curtain for you. I've been alluding to it since the big meeting last week. You know, the day I missed because I was seconded to sit in a meeting with upper management. And considering the changes that might be coming, nothing drastic, nothing dramatic. We're going to keep doing the core things that we do on this show we will continue to stand for transparency accountability and responsibility we're going to have guests we're going to talk about the issues of the day we're going to have some fun together i hope i have fun when i do this show i hope you have fun when you listen to this show but a little tweaks here and there and and who knows what what becomes of rant or rave does it stay at the same time on mondays does it move to another time do you want more time for open lines just like this, whatever the case is, dare I say that in the early part of January or in the early part of 2024, for sure, through the month of January, I think we're going to start just, you know, a little tweak here, a little tweak there until we settle into a, a brand new routine here on the show. So you want to take advantage of this last 11 until 12 opportunity for ranting and or raving on the show? This is your chance to do it. 519-570-2545. Star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. You rant because something's got you upset. You rave because you're feeling good despite the gloomy weather. Listen, John Wilson was saying this morning, Snow, are you kidding me? A buddy of mine, I saw him posting pictures from Cuba yesterday, and I thought, must be nice. And then I thought, wait a minute. Why? I mean, I get it. Sand and beaches and stuff. It's not quite that warm here, but honestly, I don't know if I was and you know I don't like winter, but if I was the winter vacationing type, I might be rethinking my priorities this year. What what winter are you trying to escape? <laughs> However, we might get a little bit of snow. We'll see what happens. And forgive me as I just finish off one more little rant. If you hear some noise or it doesn't sound so great, uh you know, sort of in the background here. You shouldn't be hearing the sounds from the background, but I can't help it. I've had to prop the door open here of the studio from the minute I started the show today because it was 25 ding-dang degrees in this studio. I, honest to goodness gracious, all I want for Christmas is an HVAC system that functions properly. That's all I'm asking for. Maybe that's why I'm not so bummed out about winter because it is as hot as a Cuban beach in here today. Again, just like it is every day. So I have to prop the door just to try to get some air circulation. Let's hear from you on Rant or Rave now. Kyle, you get to go first. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Sorry about the whole Sheboygan, you know, Kenosha Brothers thing.
0: <laughs> That's okay. I love the. I loved it. You, you sent the, it. you sent the message. I totally get it now. And, yeah, I'm sorry I didn't clue into it. I, I'm not the biggest Home Alone guy.
2: Well, uh, but you know what? It's, it's probably just my generation here. You know, that was like the big, you know, that national lampoons Christmas vacation; those two big things. Yeah. But actually, I'm gonna rant about Christmas mm-hmm. because I, um, well, I, you know, I do deliveries of skids and parcels and all that stuff, and this is a, a kind of our busiest time of the year. But man, oh man, I swear there are more Grinches than happy customers out there. I always say, you know, when I'm done or I, I deliver something, when I, I sign, I say, you know what? merry christmas or happy holidays or whatever i'm gonna say nine out of ten people have not responded with uh, merry christmas or happy holidays back it is just de- it's depressing almost like you, you walk in you have a smile on your face you deliver something or you pick something up and you just leave and say you know what merry christmas not even like uh, you too or anything it's just like yeah and then it's like whatever so that's my rant is lots of Grinches out there be happy i know it's tough times but you know what? Christmas is an t- opportunity just to hang out and visit with people, right? It doesn't have to be about presents or money or anything like that. So, anyways, thanks for Mike.
0: All right, Kyle. Appreciate the call. Sorry to hear it, but uh, I, like you said, times are tough. Maybe not everybody's in the best mood at all hours of the day, but I, I've certainly been exactly opposite that, receiving lots of smiles and merry Christmases everywhere I go. So, it's, including in the rink on Saturday night in Barrie. we had some fun. They had a, Santa was there for crying out loud and it was lots of fun. So hopefully you're experiencing and encountering some of that in your travels. George, good morning. Rant or rave?
11: I want to put a big rave out, Mike, for your show. I love it. Um, And even possible new changes, that's great. I like to see, Mike, on your show, even if it's just once a month, a grassroots community panel for, like you have Andre, and maybe you have... uh, Branch, president and just talk about the community problems that we're having. That would be uh, fun to listen to.
0: George, thanks for that, and I appreciate it, and I'm glad you love the show. And like I said, I want to be clear, nothing drastic coming, but it's interesting that you mention that sort of grassroots. I'm, I'm thinking along the lines of average Joes and average Janes. Am I allowed to say it that way? I don't even know, but that's what I'm going to say, and that's what I'm thinking, and George, you're spot on. Once a month as part of our regular Friday 4 rotation, why not one of those weeks being the time for the Average Joes and Average Janes? Here's my problem. i got to get the Average Joes and Janes who are willing to participate, which means being on radio as well, as television, And frankly, like I know Paul from Preston would be there. I'm sure Kyle would be a part of it. Those people I can reach. Not everybody I can. But tell you what, when you're calling in to participate in this hour of rant and or rave, if you want to tell Devin, hey, I'd be interested in being part of the Average Joes or Average Jane's panel, let them know how we can contact you and we'll see. We'll see. Because, George, I think you're on to something there, my friend. You and I... Are thinking along the very same lines, and you know what they say, right? Great minds think alike; fools seldom differ. But I think in 2024 we're going to get there with the average Joes and the average chains. Ted, good morning.
12: Yeah, good morning. Uh, I'm just an average Ted or Joe, and a boy. I think that's a great idea, and I'm just calling in to follow up with uh, everything that happened last week on the local tax front. Sure. Uh, And I am very average. Um, And I called you last year about this thing as well, and I had made some tough decisions about uh, my donations to charity because of the tax increases. I remember. Well, okay, so... This year, my taxes will go up about $370 uh, because of the region and the city of Waterloo. Um, so that's another $370 that I don't have, and i got to find a replacement for, and it's going to come out of my charitable donations again. I'm going to get a modest increase in my CPP. That's the only index pension I have. Um so, uh, that increase in my c p p is eaten up completely by the tax increases. so, what am I going to do, Mike? So I am going to reach down unfortunately into the tax or the charitable donation so um the The issue here, of course, is that we've still got bloated bureaucracies, and there's plenty of money in the municipal budgets. My tax increases in the last twenty five years of on my house have gone up one hundred percent. Inflation has been between fifty and fifty five percent. So, you know, I don't feel badly for all the challenges that the cities have even though there's only one taxpayer and but it it's out of control, Mike. And I'm I'm sad to say that I have to cut to the charities, but that is life. And I, I just can't believe the unconscionable uh, decisions that are made and the extravagance of, of government at all levels, of course. But, Mike, that's what I wanted to share today, and uh, from an average Joe, and I'm not the only one, we're the generally unspoken and uh, quiet group out here, but you give me the opportunity to share an unfortunate decision that I've had to make again this year. So, Mike, that's the story.
0: Thanks, Ted. Appreciate the call. Appreciate you using this show as the place to share your story. That's what I like about our ability to do things like this. Open up the phone lines to hear from you. And I'll tell you what, Ted, I'm I'm feeling you. I'm not yet on the retirement income, getting those modest increases to CPP. But when you talk about yourself being one of those average Teds, you know, I used to feel I was pretty much average slash middle class. I, honest to goodness, it's got to be at, at best lower middle class these days. The way that we talk about and, and, and rub nickels together at home, you know, what, making spending decisions. And I, I guess maybe we should always be that mindful. But oh boy, things are different out there. Things are really different out there and and it's tough and i feel you ted and i'm really sorry i remember the call from last year and i get it i'm sorry that your charitable contributions suffer because of it nonetheless again i thank you for sharing the story we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back with more ranting and or raving open lines so we can hear from you here on the program it continues on the mike farwell show this is city news 570 Just pick up that phone, give us a call, and get it off your chest and onto the air. This is Rant or Rave, 11 until noon every Monday here on the program. And we're busy, so let's get right back to the phones. Tim, good morning.
11: Good morning. I wanted to rant and rave. My rave is about the Kitchener Rangers. And their victory over the Barry Colts in overtime and Blair Scott getting his first goal. a boy, nice Tim.
0: That's a very nice recap of what happened on Saturday. Out of boy.
11: Okay. Now the second thing is, I know all about it because I saw it live. And you were gonna come down to the horseshoe bar and grill there and meet us with Paul. And we missed you. So I'm very, very sorry, but uh, I'm ranting about that.
0: <laughs> Tim, that? I appreciate I, it, and I'm sorry I couldn't. But see, by the time they open that horseshoe bar, I got to be know. on the air, and that's the only problem. Otherwise, I know. yeah,
11: I'm very, very sorry. I know uh, my son gets that table. He works for 95 Rock up there, so whenever if you're ever there early or if you're ever later, just stop by. But anyway, it was a great game, and you do a great job. I listen to you in Europe and everywhere, and in the States when we go, you do a great job with those games. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Tim. I really appreciate that. I've been getting a lot of messages like that from folks who listen while they're on vacation. Our friend Brian was listening from Cuba. I saw the Wetzel family on Friday at the Odd, and they talked about being on a cruise and still listening in to me and Paul Fixer doing the games. I love that you take the Kitchener Rangers and this radio station with you wherever you go. So thank you for that, and, and thank you for your kind words. It was a lot of fun in Barrie. I don't think we had to go to overtime, but we did. And then, of course, it was Matt Sopp who won it for the Rangers. And I think that's music to this guy's ears as well. As <laughs> Uncle Rob is on the phone. Good morning, Robert Deutschman. Holy Mackinac. <laughs> Wait a minute. You say Holy Mackinac, do you? Yeah, Let that me was see. Quite, uh, that was quite
13: the uh, overtime goal. Oh! Yeah, there you go. All right. You know, You know. I, I, I got the pipes, but I didn't want to blow you off, the, <laughs> off your seat there, Farsi. Um Yeah, no, no, that was, uh, look, uh, maybe a little rant for giving up a three-goal lead in the third period. They seem to be having a little bit of a problem in the third period the last few games. Agreed. But, uh, wow, I, 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 I'll be seeing him at Christmas, and uh, I think that banked off the goalie's legs, so I'm going to talk to him about that because I know when you're making that turn, your momentum is taking you. Behind that net, and it 's hard to dangle it up in front of the goal and tap it in and that thing just went over. but what an effort overall great team effort the guys are playing fantastic, missing some key veterans, and they 're stepping up and uh, you know and that Blair Scott, which was great to see because blair I think he played didn 't he play with the Centennials uh, before uh, tagging on to Air Centennials, before tagging on to the Rangers, and uh, Arquette got a nice assist on that goal too. So it's really good to see these youngsters all uh, getting a spot to shine and shining in the in the in the spotlight. So it's really good.
0: Enjoying the heck out of it, and I did see your nephew after the game. Asked him about that call. He said it was just like an inch or two over the line, but boy yeah. did I need it. He said. So there you go. <laughs>
7: well,
13: well, he must his ears must have been burning when the fixture said he'd get one point, so he couldn't disappoint the fixer. There you go. <laughs> anyway, Farzi have a good one. Happy holidays if we don't chat,
0: and uh, take care. All the best. Thanks, Rob. Very same to you and the entire family. Nice to hear from you this morning. The uncle of matthew sop who scored his 22nd goal for the kitchener rangers on saturday it's the last goal the rangers score before christmas because it won the game in overtime and just how about this how about the rave for the kitchener rangers okay 34 games played exactly half the schedule as they break for christmas 24 wins 24 wins in 34 games this team is something else charlie ranter rave good morning Good morning, Mike. It's been a long time. Oh, my goodness. Conservative, Charlie. It's been way too long. How are you, my friend?
14: I was I was, uh, I was, was down. I had some arthritis in my leg. I had infection in my arm. Oh, my God. I almost went down the drain. But I'm back up, Mike, and I'm back up going. of boy, Charlie. My radio station and Owen Sound just completely turned me off this morning. I said, I can't take that anymore.
0: Yeah, Charlie, uh, I, I got you mixed up with a Charlie from Cambridge. You're from Flesherton. That's where you're calling I'm me over, from.
14: Yeah, Grey Highlands over here. Grey yeah.
0: Highlands. Yeah, yeah.
14: Well, Mike, I tell you, it's, uh, you know, I'm back on, uh, I'm back off the mat. I'm up and I'm ready to go and I'm listening to you and you're going to have a great show going. The hockey team is really going good over there. And Like I said, uh, we got no, we got no top open line here, no top show in Owen Sound. They just tell you what to talk about and it's, it's, it's unbelievable the way it's being run. And I've been talking to a few people to give Mike Farlow a call and see if we can get a little uh, group going from over here talking to you.
0: There you go. I would love to hear from you up there in Grey Highlands.
14: I know we need somebody, Mike. I know uh, I listened to you, and a few of my friends. There's been um, a few people called in there, I think, over the last few weeks, but I got enough uh, stamina up to get going here, and I'm just telling you today the way I feel, and that's my rant. <laughs>
0: All right, Charlie. Hey, how's the weather up there? I hear you might get some snow.
14: There's, uh, it rained the last couple of days, drizzling and cool, and, well, it's better than uh, freezing rain, I guess, but uh, we're supposed to get some, a little bit of snow tonight, but there's nothing on the ground. Uh, you know it's a. Good, so far it's been a great winter. Well, it didn't start till next week, but it's a great winter.
0: <laughs> I'm happy to hear it, and I'm happy to hear from you. Thanks, my friend.
14: Well, you'll be hearing from me uh, from now on, Mike. And uh, I got a lot of things to talk about. And uh, I'm a conservative, and uh, I, uh, you know, I believe in their policies and everything. And I believe in your show. Your show is uh, takes care of everybody, talks about everything. Uh, that's the kind of show we need. We need a show like that over here. And I hope there's some uh, people listening around the area here and call this show.
0: All right, Charlie. Thanks again. Thank, Merry thanks Christmas Mike, to you, sir. Mike.
14: We're going to get her going in the new year. Have a happy new year. and I hear you on the radio at the uh, hockey time, and you sound great.
0: Thank you very much. Really nice to hear from you. So it's another, it's, it's conservative Charlie part two. 2.0, that's what it is. <laughs> we have a Conservative Charlie in our region. This is Conservative Charlie from Grey Highlands. Conservative Charlie 2.0. Paul, good morning. Morning.
3: A couple of things. Uh, first off, to Kyle, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. The, uh, just because he says nobody's saying it to him. Attaboy. The, uh, uh, due to circumstances, uh, uh, another caller, uh, due to you know circumstances with myself, this year, I'm in a position where I can uh, fortunately make additional contributions to uh, to charities. Um, so I'll try and make up for uh, some of the people who can't make up those donations this year. But uh, what I wanted to talk about was um, sometime this week, uh, the Trudeau government is going to announce the uh, that all new cars must be zero emissions by 2035. The um, it's expected uh, zero emissions vehicles including battery, plug-in, hydrogen models, must represent 20% of all new car sales in 2026, 60% in 2030, and 100% by 2035. So the, the government is literally saying that uh, the only thing you'll have to drive by 2035 is going to be an electric vehicle. Now, For the guy who goes out in uh, 2034 and buys one of the few gasoline-powered vehicles available, keep in mind that come 2035, the uh, government could very well decide that they are going to seize that vehicle and take it away from you because it does not fit in their political agenda. Of course, you know, like right now, Canada contributes about 2%. Of the world's carbon emissions, whereas China is uh, up over 30%. I think they're currently sitting around 32%. So hey, if we cut our emissions by 2%, it's really, as I said in the past, a fart in a hurricane. It's not <laughs> going to have much of a difference.
0: All right, Paul, I got to run to get to the news center, but it's funny you bring that up because we'll be talking about it on the show tomorrow when it is expected that those regulations will be announced. I Listen... I know my vehicle ain't going to be electric by 2035. I'm not expecting somebody to come and take it from me, but I guess that remains to be seen. This is the Mike Farwell Show. It's Rant or Rave, and we continue on City News 570. as you heard in that update with Aaron Anderson from the city news center, let me just reinforce it as one of my rants today. I mentioned it at the beginning of the show. What in H E double hockey sticks is going on with all of the gun violence, the usage of firearms in this community for illicit purposes. Saturday late night report of an armed robbery of a vehicle in Kitchener And then early this morning, home invasion in the Fisher Holman Road and Keatsway area. And then a couple hours after that, a man suffering from gunshot wounds in the Highland Road and Ruby Street area of Kitchener. That's just in the past 36 to 48 hours for crying out loud. Strange times in this here city of ours. Rant or rave continues 519570 2545. Star five seventy one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen. Joe, good morning. Good morning,
15: Mike. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing just fine, thank you. How about yourself?
15: I'm good. I, I had I had one rant. Now I have two. Okay. The first rant, uh, you were talking the EVs, right? That just came out today. That they're probably going to be getting announced. Uh, the twenty 25- five. Or uh, by 2025, they'll have 20%, 2035. Paul was talking about our church earlier. Yeah. The only problem I have with that, personally, my family, we do big commutes, right? We're going all over the place, hockey, all that kind of stuff. Gas stations, they're going to start losing money. Where are they going to get? They're making tons of money right now, and all of a sudden they're going to lose money. People aren't going to have enough time. Right now, I can go to the gas station. My car's at zero. or It's got 20 kilometers left. I can go to the gas station. Within two minutes, I've got a full tank, enough for another 12 hours of driving. To, to charge an uh, electric vehicle, it's going to take me 12 hours to get six hours of battery. Like it, it's, it's not time efficient. People aren't going to be able to do that. My second rant, uh, home invasion, Fisher, Holman, and Keatsway. I live in that neighborhood, so I, I didn't see anything this morning when I was coming to work around 5 o'clock. But that's, that's something to keep an eye on because I know there's been multiple in the last two three, three weeks. I think there's been four or five in the Beachwood, neighbor, Beachwood area.
0: Joe, thanks very much for the call. I, I hope you're doing okay. And, yeah, it can be a little unsettling. It can be more unsettling for you when it's in your neighborhood than just for me as an observer and asking myself, what's happened here in the city? I guess more people, more problems, right? But uh, it's just, it's different. And it it does, I don't know, it, it rattles me a little bit. On, on Joe's point about the infrastructure, I don't know how long, I don't know if it's a full 12 hours to charge to get the six hours of, of driving time. And obviously you can plug these things in at home and keep them charged up overnight. But I do wonder, and I have for a while, about the infrastructure. And I brought this up not too long ago, like in the last many months on the show, because I saw a new gas station being built on Old King, um, not far from Fairway Road. And, you know, you've, you've got... It's just the one, right? Yeah, there's the one on the corner there, and then you get the Hefners, and you keep going out towards Sports World, and there's a host of gas stations out along Old King up by Sports World. And I'm wondering to myself, like, why do we need another gas bar kind of in between those two spots, right? And, and then I thought to myself, but these are. Like, we, we know that we've got these targets to eliminate gasoline-powered automobiles. Why are we not already then building the infrastructure for charging the next generation of automobiles? I'm fascinated by that. And yet, here we go. New gas station opening up. And Joe's right. There's a, a livelihood here that will be curtailed, if not eliminated, when we move from gasoline-powered to all-electric. But I just wonder why, because we know we're short when it comes to infrastructure. Why aren't we starting that infrastructure right now? I don't know. We continue with Rant or Rave. Jim, good morning.
16: Good morning, Mike. Jim in Cambridge.
0: Hello, uh, Jim in Cambridge. How are you, sir?
16: With my usual rant for the rest of the year, I guess, Uh Bill 153 was presented by Catherine Fife over four years ago. Bill 21 was presented by Catherine Fife over one year ago. No action has been taken except I did have a long discussion with John Jordan, the uh, MPP in Kingston Frontenac area, who has been given the task of rewriting or modifying Bill 21. Um, I offered to do it myself for him, but uh, for some reason he declined. Uh, In any event, if your listeners would like to uh, get on the bandwagon and get this thing moving a little faster, uh, look up John Jordan, Kingston Frontenac, send the guy an email, tell him to get off the pot. Uh, (laughs) We want to get this thing done. I've gone through a health minister and four long-term care ministers uh, trying to get this issue resolved. And if you know, I've been separated for over six years, and I've made over 2,000 trips from where I reside to where my wife is. So let's uh, get off the pot.
0: Yeah, that's have separated, a, have Jim. A Merry,
16: have a Merry Christmas,
0: Mike. Just so folks understand, Jim, this is separated for these six years. You and Joan have been married for 60-plus now, have you not?
16: 65, and we both turned 84.
0: Bless your hearts. A very Merry Christmas to the both of you, Jim, and I hope we can get off the pot with this.
16: Well, I sure hope so. It's been a long struggle, and believe me, uh, I fight, fight, and fight, and I don't give up.
0: <laughs> Thank you, sir. Keep it up.
16: Yeah. Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas, Jim. Nice to hear from you. Although. <laughs> Not nice to hear that story that continues. Debbie had sent an email earlier to Mike at 570news.com. A great small addition to the show would be follow-up Fridays or whatever day. I'm so concerned and wondering how that elderly gentleman who is trying to be with his beloved at the nursing home. I wonder if Christmas was kind to him this year. Well, there you go, Debbie. You have the answer. and And sadly, I don't know that it's ever going to change because you heard what Jim said. He's been tireless on this. It's been six years. Thousands of trips he has made from the home where he resides to the home where his wife resides, Kitchener, to Cambridge, and it just, it's it's madness that we can't get this done. Catherine Fife has been a champion on this, our MPP for Waterloo, but of course, in opposition, only so much can get done. So we'll just we'll keep hoping, and we'll keep supporting Jim and his wife, Joan, for sure. We'll wish them the best of the season and, and hope for better, I guess, in 2024. Uh, Joe Kay this time around. I think I know who this is.
7: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so a bit of a rant. <clears throat> okay. Uh, what am I, chopped liver? What do you mean, what are you, chopped liver?
17: Like, you didn't consider me when you thought of the average Joe. And before you answer, <laughs> oh, gosh. there's only one logical answer that you can come up with that would make logical sense, okay? Okay. So you, what is it, Mike? What am I, job liver? You didn't consider me?
0: You know what? I, I'm embarrassed to say it, it didn't cross my mind. So now, you know what? I think we might, you, Kyle, and Paul, oh my goodness gracious, could you imagine the three of you on one show?
17: Well, I think the answer you were
0: looking for is because, Joe, you're anything but average.
7: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's the. you're right. Sorry, there it is. That's the answer I was looking for. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You're way above average, pal. Way above. You
17: you didn't come up with it. I had to come up with it for you.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I just want to keep my job, Joe. And if you... Because you're going to come in here, you're way better looking, you're way more talented. What's going to be left for me?
17: Oh, Mike. I don't know, man. I've got got some time on my hands, so you should be worried.
0: (laughs) Don't worry. I am.
17: So, Mike, one quick thing. Yes. So do you think all this gun violence is because of uh, legal gun owners or do you think these are illegal guns that are on the streets that are killing people?
0: There is not a doubt in my mind that it is the latter.
17: How about a task force?
0: (laughs) No, no more task force. Illegal guns. No more task forces, please. How How about we just get serious about cracking down on the smuggling of illegal guns into the country and we beef up sentencing for people who use guns in the commission of crimes. How about that? Well, that would require a task force, you know. Are you sure? Because I think we just solved the problem, Joe.
17: Well, I think you're right. But okay, it's going to require a little extra investment on the side. to put put something off to the side to deal with just that specific problem. You I know see. I mean? Uh huh. Uh huh. And, and we don't have the resources right now, clearly, thanks to the Trudeau government. But I digress. One more, one more raid. Just a raid before I go. I'm waiting. How about those lions?
0: Those lions? What lions?
17: Detroit Lions, baby.
0: I remember the Saint Jerome's Lions. Those are the only lions well, I of know. Of
17: course. Those were those were the greatest lions of all time. Uh huh. But you know, we'll take we'll settle for uh Detroit Lions, number one in their NFC division. Yeah, baby. Those are starting to creep up again. We gotta cheer for the people that are closest to us, right?
7: No.
0: Well, Unless it's in hockey, then we cheer for the Leafs, right?
17: Who's your team?
0: In the NFL? Yeah. The number one, one and only, black and gold, steel curtain, Pittsburgh Steelers. Boy, do I feel sorry for you. Well, it's been a rough ride this year, that's for sure. But hey, how many Super Bowls do the Detroit Lions have? Uh, Well, well, not a whole lot. uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And how many do the Steelers have? I I don't recall. Uh Uh-huh. Mhm. The answer well, is Maybe six. you need another
17: new uh, co- offensive coordinator. Maybe
0: that'll <laughs> help you. Maybe that'll help us. Thank you, Joseph. Nice to hear from you as always. Uh I won't cut you off for saying Detroit Lions. There's only one sports team that you cannot name on this show, and you know that it is the hockey team that shall not be named. I'm I'm happy. I I love the lovable losers that are the Detroit Lions. Maybe this is their year. I don't know. But I'm still going to be a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, just like I have been since I was a kid, and Terry Bradshaw was the quarterback. Grant over to you for a rant or a rave. Good morning <laughs> <laughs> i I get so worried when you have that little sinister laugh before you start.
7: Oh is that right? Yes,
0: I'm very worried now.
17: The Hunter Bestevich played that <laughs> that he did on the when he was well he was. He was on his knees. That was kind of a neat play. And watch out the states. He's hunting for you. (laughs)
0: All right, Grant. Thank you. I think what Grant means is Hunter is hunting. Yeah, for Team USA, who did not take him to the World Junior Hockey Championship. Makes me crazy. What am I going to do about it? I might rant like Grant just did, because this is the hour that you can do just that. Rant. rave. It's part of the Mike Farwell show every Monday from 11 until noon on City News 570. until noon we open up the phone lines 60 full minutes for you to rant because something is stuck in your craw or rave because you're so gosh darn happy about it we have appropriately named the segment rant or rave we take your calls and you send us in whatever direction you would like this is your last chance for 2023 there will be no more ranting or raving on the show this year so you got ten minutes left. Five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five star five seventy one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen.
18: Ian, good morning. Hey, Mike. Was that not awesome with Getty and Alex about a week and a half ago? I I still
0: I'm not sure I can put it into words. It was just I so well spoken, so humorous, uh, intelligent. I mean, I just loved every second of it. Every second. Yeah. Yeah.
18: I hope your, I hope your wife did
0: too. You know what? (laughs) She's become such a fan. Now she is sending me Getty Lee reels off the interwebs, which is awesome. (laughs) And I've dove into the book too, which is just terrific stuff.
18: Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend the book uh, for anyone, even if you're not a Rush fan, it's uh, really good. Um, Anyways, uh, my sort of rant is uh, your callers. Oh my God, the misinformation um paul's saying about can only being two percent emissions which he's not incorrect on that but per capita we are some of the worst uh polluters in the world actually when you look at that and china's actually really getting their act together with a lot of this stuff but the other guy uh in regards to filling up his gas tank in two minutes you know what let's put a, a different perspective on it you had to work probably four to six hours to pay for that uh, and nobody seems to keep that in mind because, you know, the price of gas is not 80 cents anymore. It's easily a buck 50 now and can go back up. But even with this charging of 12 hours, I'm, I'm sorry, I've been doing this for eight years. I don't know when I've ever charged for that long. Um, and, you know, I can get uh, 80% in 15 minutes at uh, the superchargers and stuff. And infrastructure-wise, just to give you a heads-up on that, um, Kitchener Sunrise Center has new Tesla chargers going in. So does Guelph. So does Vaughn. It's uh, expanding quite a bit, actually. But, and Ian, in fairness, be open, I get yeah, you. They're be, I get yeah, you. to be open to the new stuff, uh, But the other cars.
0: But if we're, like, I, I, I get you, and I see the, the charging stations pop up, too. But if we're talking every vehicle, every vehicle, all of a sudden, we don't have near the infrastructure for that.
18: Well, that part of it, I, I would highly recommend look into vehicle to grid and vehicle to home because the electric vehicles are big batteries, which are actually part of the storage mechanisms for what we need within uh, everywhere, pretty much. So we're actually interacting with the grid, um, and that's happening in different places. So you can charge you know at what? home, right? The future looks good. You can charge at home, right? Oh yeah.
0: And did, no but but now does somebody have to retrofit their own? Um, home electricity supply, so they can charge their car.
18: Not really. Uh, the biggest uh, thing we see there is the maybe the panel upgrade. If some people have sixty or hundred amp panels, right? So but even but at that, uh, there's solutions. If you have a dryer, for example, there's a company that lets you. If you're using the dryer, it'll switch from the electric car to the dryer and back and forth. So it's it's pretty cool what's out there.
0: That's cool. And have you had to yeah. replace the battery
18: in your Tesla yet? Oh hell no! In fact, my Model Three. Uh, I'm actually looking to drive to Mexico next month. But what happens if you do,
0: or when you do? I've heard the cost of replacing a battery is in the many, many thousands of dollars.
18: If you replace the whole battery, but uh, Niagara College, the automotive department there, a friend of mine works there. The students there are being trained not to replace the whole battery pack, not even the 16 modules that are in a Tesla Model 3, but actually whatever cell is problematic, they can replace the cell. So when you look at that cost-wise, nowhere close. And uh, you know what? <laughs> the electric cars are meant to do minimum two, three 300,000 qu- uh, miles actually, with at least 90% battery left. So, in terms of capacity.
0: As always, I'm glad to hear of your <laughs> success stories with the electric vehicle.
18: Sorry, Mike. Thanks. you. Have a great Christmas. Good Safe. talking with you.
0: You too, Ian, as always. And the very same to you about the Christmas, and may it be filled with the music of Rush. What a great show at Massey Hall the other week when Getty Lee was there on his My F'n Life tour. The book and the conversation, which he had, by the way with Alex Lifeson that particular night. Yes, his bandmate. Uh, David Drew joins us every Monday at noon for Drew's Views. He's uh, ahead of his time today, which is great, because that means he's sitting in studio with me right now. I I saw a few eyebrow raises and smiles, David. We know the, the news is coming from the feds tomorrow officially, but electric vehicle fleet fully by 2050, beginning phasing in by 2035. That's 11
19: years away. It's ambitious. There's a new gas station going up in Macdon. Really? And similar, I heard what you were saying about the gas stations and why, and all I was wondering was, what's the timeline for return on capital investment when you are building a gas station from scratch? You know, how many years is it before you are have paid off your debts? And it's just sort of like, wow, you're doing this with a rather tight time frame. Interesting.
0: I do find it curious, and and it just popped into my mind when I saw this one going up on Old King, kind of between uh, River and Fairway, if you will, and that's not long after I saw another one pop up on Victoria Street, not long after a shell opened. Now there's a Circle K down by Lackner, which is fine. I mean, you run your own business and, and invest in your own business interests, but it just occurred to me, like these are brand new gas stations when we've known this 2035 deadline is kind of mm-hmm. out there. Shouldn't they be electric charging stations by
19: mandate? Well, the other side of it too, though, is you know I forget the last caller's name, but you know I'm, it's working out really, really well for him. But what if I'm one of those people who lives in an apartment building and I have no ability to install my own charger? Um, there's a whole lot of that. And then I also have some serious doubts whether our electricity grid can handle all of these cars, and none of these things are problems that we can solve overnight. And I just sort of feel like we're going to be the heat pumps in the Maritimes where, hey, we have this two-year program to subsidize everything because we realize how far behind we are, but we're trying to get everything done in two years, and we just don't have any of the manpower or supply chains to get it done that quickly. And we talked about that
0: report on the show this past year that says, basically, we have to take everything we have on our electricity grid today that's taken us approximately a century to establish and do it all over again in the next 25 years.
19: Yeah, so a few more nuclear plants and another Niagara Falls, and we're great.
0: We're (laughs) laughing. Piece of cake. Yeah. It's going to be a piece of cake. David Drew joins us for Drew's Views every Monday at noon. He's in studio, and we will talk about the things that are on his mind, and we're even going to have a little bit of fun riffing on all things political from this past year. So please do stay with us for that. You might have noticed already, I didn't notice until I turned on Rogers TV Cable 20 today. There's a delicious looking cooking show on right now on my studio monitor. That's when I learned we were not on Rogers TV Cable 20 today. So thanks to our friends there for all of the hard work this past year producing the TV side of the show. They are on a Christmas break. We'll be back on Rogers TV on january the 8th in the meantime we continue with the mike farwell show an update from the city news center and then drew's views right here on city news 570
13: has anybody heard from crazy dave's anybody heard from crazy dave? Has anybody heard from crazy dave now that cat couldn't spell to win a bet but he carried this battered notebook full of his poetry more soul per square word than the Lord's Prayer. He was the kind of guy that called a spade a shovel, and a violin a fiddle, and a lady, ma'am. And I don't even know why I think of him now. Maybe because he never told me a lie he'd have to apologize for it later. Because he'd speak to a guy straight, eyeball to bloodshot eyeball, like he'd never even had a secret.
0: I know why I think of him now, because he's sitting directly across me. Cross from me here in this studio on the boardwalk, David Drew joins us every Monday at noon for Drew's Views. It's a weekly segment where we get to view the world through the rather unique perspective of David Drew, who is the owner of Negotiating Change, Government Relations, Stakeholder Engagement Strategies. Mr. Drew, good afternoon.
19: We're getting flurries this afternoon, but I was just looking at the Rogers TV screen while you were doing your work, and they say we can expect a green Christmas. Yeah, I mean... boo It,
0: You know, and I
19: don't love winter, and then when I heard the flurries
0: in the forecast this morning, I kind of bummed me out, but I would rather have something for Christmas. It just helps with the mood.
19: Exactly. The but. thing with flurries on a day like today, is like, I've got a shovel, but three days from now it'll be gone anyway, so... <laughs> I saw a shovel sitting out front
0: someone's house while I was walking the dog yesterday, and I thought, oh, what an optimist. It's December. They have their shovel ready to go, and yet it has not been called into service. So. You haven't had to shovel your
19: driveway yet? Uh, one time. Okay. One yeah. time. We've had ours out.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I must say, I was at work my beloved, took care of all of the shuffling that day. So, there
19: you I'll go. I'll send her my address.
0: Yeah, please do. She'll be right on it, because that's what she loves doing more than anything else. Alright, uh, let's dive into the conversations, including what you refer to as the Farwell bump. I love it, but hey... The federal housing minister took some of your advice, David Drew, and we're going back to an old-fashioned wartime effort to build homes in this country.
19: But but to be fair, though, I've been talking about this sort of thing for quite a while. It wasn't until I brought it onto the Mike Farwell show that Sean Fraser listened to me. So (laughs) I think you get all of the credit. No, but seriously, this was not my idea. I'm not a person who invents great ideas. I'm a person who steals them from other people. And, you know, my opinions are my own unless you share them, in which case they're ours. But Sean Fraser last week announced that the federal government is going to reinitiate a post-World War II program to fast-track building by coming up with pre-approved designs that will save developers money, first of all, but will also take a year off the development time by cutting out architectural. Now, I don't want to overdo this or overstate this because basically what they announced, they're going to start doing it. and. I mean, they could have announced they were going to start doing it months ago, and maybe we'd be somewhere along the way by now. I don't know how long it's going to take them to come up with this. But what a great step in the right direction. Um, Just it's one thing they can do to do their part to make it easier. So God bless them. Like, this is just such a great thing to do. And? Are you waiting for me to drop the other foot? Well, or absolutely, because
0: well, you left it there exactly for
19: the other shoe to drop. No, honestly, this is, like, out of that cabinet shuffle that we had over the summer, I think Sean Fraser He's is... He's a stud. Lo- He's a superstar. Yeah, like, but the funny thing is, you know, as we talked about, there's no mandate letter change for him. He just got the same mandate letter as the previous person, but all of a sudden now we're getting results. And it makes you wonder, is this just the one guy who took advanced deliverology? Or, like, what is it about this that he can take a look at the tools that the previous minister had available and say, oh, wow, we can actually do stuff with this and get this much stuff done with no change to anything else? It just I can't even remember who the last minister, Ahmed Hussein, but it just makes you wonder, what was wrong with that guy? like. Was it a case of not reading the emails or all the great ideas being put, kept in secure binders that he had to go across town to read? Um, Sean, No, I, have, I really have nothing bad to say about this other than in the cheeky way they could have announced they were going to get started on this a long time ago and started the work a while ago. That, But that's such... A cheap complaint. I don't even really want to focus on it. This is really just sincere kudos.
0: And I agree. I think there is reason for those sincere kudos and optimism, the optimism that comes with it. I have two really kind of big nagging questions, though. One, David, is this catalogue will not look like the post-war catalogue of 1947, right? We're not going to see strawberry box homes. We're going to see fourplexes and other multi-unit residential yep. density, buildings. right, density. So great, like and and let's see how quickly we can move and start getting these things built, but what do our cities then begin to look like? I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying it's rather dramatically different than what they look like today.
19: Yes, they will be different and there are, you know, beauties in the eye of the beholder. There will be improvements in everyone's eyes, and there will be detriments in everyone's eyes, and these will not be uniform. But, my gosh, like, one of the nice things about Toronto is it is a city of neighborhoods, and they are all walkable. And you don't really need to leave your neighborhood for any particular reason, and you can't achieve that without density. So, like, honestly, I live in a fairly dense neighborhood in Dune South, but the nearest convenience store is probably a 20-minute walk from my house. Um, If all of my row townhouses were four-story buildings, there would be a convenience store five minutes from my house. Um, All of these things would become a lot more walkable because there would be the market to justify it. So it would – like density brings convenience in a whole lot of ways, but it also pushes people out of their cars because you ever – have you ever tried driving in downtown Toronto? (laughs) Exactly. So there's going to be trade-offs, but you know – LRT Phase 2, LRT Phase 3.
0: Be careful now, because you might also be sounding like a proponent of the 15-minute city, and that's a dangerous place to be. We've talked about this before, though. The
19: cities were always 15-minute cities. Yes. Until we got cars. I'm with you. I'm just saying that's a
0: dangerous place in some circles to plant your flag these days, but... Uh, That's a bit of a digression. I'm used to having a bullseye on my back. All right. The other big question I have around this is whether or not this indicates that maybe the next federal election will not be fought over a carbon tax. Maybe it will be fought over a housing plan.
19: I'm not sure it will be fought over a housing plan because, the, the honestly, the differences between the conservatives and the liberals on the housing plan is... The Conservatives are going to use the stick with a bit of carrot and the Liberals are using a carrot with a bit of stick. Um, you know, the, the Liberals were making fun of the Conservatives so huge for saying they were going to tell the municipalities what to do or cut off money. And then the Liberals did that to the city of Calgary. Um, there's really very little difference between them on this issue. For all the sound and fury, it signifies nothing. The carbon tax, however, is a genuine difference between the parties. And the Liberals would love to have this on the carbon tax just in the sense that they would like to win it and put it away. The Conservatives would like to have it on the carbon tax because every other party is in favor of the carbon tax. So even if 52% of Canadians are in favor of the carbon tax, the Conservatives would be very happy to have 48% of the population on the major issue when they're at 40%-ish right now. Um, so... I also don't believe it's going to be as big on the carbon tax as we make it sound. It's going to be a big issue, but I don't think it's going to be the dominant issue when inflation is what it is and still will be. Like, Even if inflation comes down from where it is right now, the interest rates are going to take a while to come back down, and we're going to have a whole pile of mortgage renewals between now and the interest rates coming down. And the people who are just renewed in the last year... They're going to be paying the same rates probably when the next election comes around. So even if they wrestle inflation down, a lot of the pain from it is still going to be fresh in people's eyes. So I'm not sure the carbon tax by itself can be the dominant issue.
0: And that's where I'm kind of going with this. And insofar as, yes, each has a housing plan, but maybe we'll be talking about those housing plans instead of carbon taxes.
19: Except there's such a little difference between them. It's going to be like, I I think even the dumb voter. Who doesn't pay attention until the election comes along would be looking at it and going, what are these guys fighting about?
0: <laughs> all right. Let's move along to foreign policy. And wait, all your buttons? I don't you actually you have a t-shirt on today, so I'm I'm comfortable with you giving all your buttons then. On a coherent foreign policy from any party. I the problem is, David, the world is a very complicated place these days.
19: Yeah, and our politicians are so simple. <laughs> No, um, I'm. That, that sounded harsher than I really meant it to, but I am. A lot of the time, foreign policy really doesn't matter, and it's a very easy thing to forget about. But between Gaza, Israel, and Ukraine, Russia, we have seen that. I understand why the other countries don't think we're serious anymore. Um, the liberal position on what is going on with Israel, Gaza over the last week. Has been all over the map and I am looking at, I've listened to Minister Jolie's explanations of the evolution of this and all I can come to is this is incoherent. You hear Bill Blair on the air saying, well, we have no expectation that Hamas will ever fulfill the conditions for the ceasefire we're calling for. Okay. Um, Melanie Jolie explaining um, that we are pro-Israel still, that our position with the UK or New Zealand and Australia was to demonstrate that we are holding Hamas to account. And our vote at the UN, which doesn't mention Hamas holding any responsibility at all. Well, that that's perfectly aligned with everything else we've been doing. So I'm very disgusted because, ugh. but then, you know. It would be very easy for me to say, oh, those silly liberals, but the conservatives are just as bad right now with the Ukraine free trade vote that they are against, apparently, because they say it forces a carbon tax, which it doesn't, and Ukraine already has a carbon tax. But Ukraine's at war with Russia right now, and you just hear this shibboleth carbon tax and start barking like train seals. It's... What's more important, our... Domestic carbon tax partisanship or the free world fight between Russia and Ukraine. And I just keep coming back to it like, yes, I am a small C -C conservative. A little bit of a Ronald Reagan conservative, perhaps. And if somebody had said to Ronald Reagan, not a single American soldier will be risked. All you have to do is send arms to Ukraine and watch them humiliate the great Russian bear." Any of the Republicans that I grew up respecting would have jumped on that. Um, And here we have, well, no, but a carbon tax. So we're not going to be standing by our ally. It's, I hope both parties get really bitten in the ass by this. (laughs) I really, really do. Um, You had the incident at Eaton Center over the weekend where protesters were threatening to cut people open in, like, plain view of police officers. That ain't good. Um, We're going to have vigilanteism. Like, I remember there was one Christmas parade, which I was not at, but several of the volunteers contacted me afterwards and said that they were ready, waiting for this one person who was riding on a bicycle through the crowd, heckling an MP, through the floats, actually, heckling an MP, And there were people with their kids in the parade. And the police were there and did nothing. And so many of these parents were like, I was just waiting. If he touched one of those kids, I was so ready. They were just so disgusted by the fact that this was happening in plain sight of police officers. And I understand why the police officers are like, there's nothing really going wrong here. Do we want to cuff and stuff someone at a Christmas parade? That'll be the headlines forever. But... That was just an idiot, being an idiot. This is hypercharged political. And you have some masked dude saying, I'll cut you six feet deep in the earshot of a police officer. Somebody's going to start doing something on their own. And our political parties on this are just playing to diaspora domestic audiences, and there is no, le- no moral position from our country.
0: Yeah, they're playing to diaspora domestic Audiences that carry the votes that they need in the next election. Period. That's what this is all about, isn't it?
19: Yeah, and, and 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 same thing on the other side with the conservatives too. The carbon tax is worth more to them than a principled vote on Ukraine. Um, and I'm I'm you can hear it in me. I'm frustrated by this because every now and then, you know, this is one of those occasions where our allies are looking at us and wondering where is Canada. On, and then they're like, okay, well, if Trudeau gets thrown out, what's the legitimate foreign policy going to be from the alternative? And they see a you know, jokers to the left, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you, Mike. Um,
0: <laughs> Surely that kind of language would have to contravene laws around hate, hate speech, etc. Well, it's a threat at the very least. At, at minimum.
19: But um, I, I don't like quoting Brian Lilly or citing Brian Lilly because I find him to be a bit self-involved and I just really envy his hair but he has the video out today from a mosque in BC and they have film of the Imam you know, calling for the extermination of Jews we've talked about this before there are all these incidents going up and it seems like the police are doing very like there was the one Ottawa thing where the kid was arrested because he was involved in a plot to blow something up and then it turns out his father was posting um, anti-Semitic stuff on a Facebook page, um, but I really there's all these incidents where you see public video being taken, and there doesn't seem to have been any follow up on any of it. So somebody's going to get angry about this sooner or later, and it's not it's not going to be me. I'm just worried I'm going to be nearby.
0: Yeah, I I totally get it, and I think it's justifiable. Okay, I've I've taken a lot of time on these, but. Uh, I, I get involved in these conversations with you, David. We I have believe fun. you. Let's let's quickly touch though on Jesse Brown and Canada Land and what it is he did to create the storm that he's currently weathering.
19: Okay. This is Dave Drew's opinion. This is not the opinion of City News Kitchener, the Mike Farwell show, or any of its sponsors. I think Jesse's in trouble because he's Jewish. Really? Yeah. Um Jesse has I think fairly well documented the things he's concerned about, protests, examples of anti-Semitism in Canada, um, news coverage. And some of his unionized employees wrote a anonymous letter complaining about him. And the worst part about it is, is not only is it anonymous, so they're not willing to put their names to it, even though they have the union protection, but it's the most general, vague denunciations without saying what he actually did wrong. But yeah, apparently he's like a crazy Zionist now according to some of his own staff. And I'm not the biggest fan of Canada Land. I do think they do some great work but the way I phrased it to you in the notes, you know, he reaped the wind and he sowed the whirlwind. He created a media empire. You know, that's a lot word to use for Canada Land. But he expressly went out of his way to hire identifiable minorities, diverse populations, and progressive voices to make sure they, ha- they could be heard. Well, when you get a whole bunch of people suffering from identity politics into a newsroom, of course they're going to be used to the politics of victimization. Like I'd speculate as to who it was who signed it, and I'd be thinking, Jesse's been giving you shows to talk about the politics of being a victim for the past three years. But here it is, this guy who built this independent news outlet, one of the very few outlets that is growing and succeeding in Canada. Um, He took down Gian Gomeshi. He took down the We Charity. um, And now he's getting hoisted because he likes to talk about the fact that bullet holes in synagogues and Jewish schools is wrong and something to be scared of. He's, like, I feel sorry for the guy. I really do not envy him the place he's in because it feels like so much of what he has built can be at risk now. But all the same, it's just sort of like, if it wasn't this, it would have been something else a little bit further along the line, and I just, I wish him well, but I hope he takes a long-term way to get out of this. this.
0: I wonder if this isn't just the little tempest in the grand Canadian teapot, and if what we're seeing happening at Canada Land has... I don't know, could be extrapolated
19: elsewhere. But. Well, the Heather Reisman poster was fair game because she's Jewish and apparently funds some charity that you could vaguely construe as Zionist. You know, like, it's getting so extrapolation where it's like, oh, you like bagels? Tar and Fetter yet.
0: <laughs> All right, now we're really up against the clock. We'll take a break, come back with some amusing anecdotes from the year that's been federally. This is the Mike Farwell Show. David Drew with Drew's Views on City News 570. Well, we have a lot to talk about today and so much more. Time is precious, though, and short as we wrap things up with David Drew on Drew's views. Let's quickly touch on the bad week that was for Pierre Polyev almost a month ago now. Was that overblown, David? Because I've heard very little since.
19: I don't know that it was overblown because, you know, the Conservatives have dropped in the polls since then. But, you know, I think I said at the time. He couldn't afford too many of those in a row. And it looks like they're starting to course correct a bit. They had two bad weeks, I would call it. Okay, you mentioned the polls. I find them fascinating
0: because we all know the poll. The only poll that matters is on Election Day. How much do we, like, are, are, is polling itself overblown? We know the Conservatives have a strong lead. Does it matter what these polls say?
19: I mean, if you were to walk into a hockey game halfway through the second period, you'd want to know what the score was. Even though you know that's not what the final score is going to be. Just so you can understand the narrative of how the game is being played. Like, why did they pull their goalie? I don't get it. There hasn't been a goal since I got here. Why is only one team pulling their goalie? I don't understand. So it is helpful in that sense. But, yeah, they are overblown because we are potentially a year and a half, two years away from an election. So... Anything can happen. Okay, I agree with that last statement. I think we're still a
0: minimum of 18 months away from an election, but I'm hearing more and more buzz. Oh, no, Farwell,
19: spring of 24, pshaw, I say. Are we having an election next year? To have an election next year, either every single opposition party except for the Greens would need to unite to take the Liberals down, or the Liberals would need to pull the plug themselves. So... Let's look at the odds of the Bloc, the NDP, and the Conservatives all agreeing that now's a good time to take down the government. Probably not going to happen because, you know, one of them is going to be losing too. Um, The Liberals pulling the plug on themselves by the spring? The economy would have to shift a whole lot for their numbers to shift a whole lot. And they're not going to go in the spring if their numbers are where they are now. So I do not believe we're going to have a spring election. But that does put me in opposition, apparently, to the majority of Canadians who are expecting an election next year. It's very interesting. You've placated
0: the NDP. You'll just cruise along for another 18 months as far as I'm concerned. We shall see. Uh, it's been great. It's been a great year. Very best to you and yours for the holidays, and I look forward to picking up where we left off in 2024. I look forward to hoisting a pint over the break. Yes, we're going to do that too. David Drew, Drew's Views every Monday at noon, part of the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Well, just as we were about to come on the air, one of my next guests who's in studio right now said, how are those Rangers doing? Where are they at? Yep, still sitting first place at the Christmas break. But I'm looking forward to big things from these next two gentlemen in the season ahead because they are intimately involved with our KW Titans, the team's co-owner, David Schooley, in studio. David, it's always a pleasure. Good afternoon.
20: Mike, you know what? Um, Always a pleasure to be here. Lots of exciting news this week.
0: Yeah, there is. And Coach Cliff is with us as well, Cliff Clink Scales. Hey, Coach Cliff, how you feeling? How you doing, Mike? I'm doing all right. Thanks you? for having us. Appreciate all... it. Doing well. Always a pleasure. So yeah, it's, it is a big week. Training camp opens on Wednesday, right?
21: Yes, sir. We opened up already. We're about second weekend. Guys is competing at a high level. 18 guys in training camp. They're giving it their best every day. So been exciting. It's it's tough
0: though, right? Because you have to make some decisions in the right. next few days, don't you?
21: Yes, sir. Yeah. I gotta make some decision the next few days. Uh, cut it to a twelve man roster, um, so we're gonna do that for the next few days, or we may do it for our exhibition. Depends how training camp goes the next couple of days, and and go from there. So, uh, big exhibition game, Connoisseur College, six thirty, um, this Thursday, the twenty first. So. Uh, the fans and the season ticket holders in the city get to see the new roster, see what we look like. So we're excited. What kind of team do you want to see, Coach Cliff? Uh, I just want a hard-nosed team. I mean, every day we step on the court, we just want to compete at the highest level and give it our all. But same thing, I'm going to preach that guys going to hear from me all the time. Play hard, play together, and play the right way, right? So long as you're doing that and just doing your daily deposits every day, that I mean, coming to the gym, coming to work, watching film, taking care of your body. Everything else will take care of itself. So I want an un- unselfish team playing together and just playing it hard, right? That's what you can really act for.
0: I love the way you put that. You make your daily deposits every right, day. Right, really well yeah. said. Really well said.
20: Uh, Mr. Schooley,
0: how are you feeling? I mean, this is this is big, the new Super League everything.
20: We're excited. Um, we're ex- <laughs> we're excited to uh, get caught up, I guess you could say. So, you know, we've got so many new initiatives um, this year with our Skills Academy, um, our work in the teen drop-in uh, with the YMCA, and then uh, the exhibition game, which uh, we didn't do last year. We did a blue and white game. Right. So that's where half the team competes against the other half. We thought we would change it up a bit this year. Um, and, you know, so Conestoga College has uh, got a beautiful facility out there. And, you know, the 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 group out there was kind enough to give us a nice spot, right? We thought Thursday night, 6.30. I know you're going to be done your Christmas shopping, and Cliff has probably done his Christmas shopping. I won't be, um, but, um, you know, there's still lots of time.
0: Yeah, you've got till Sunday's the 24th. You're Absolutely, fine, yeah. so, <laughs> yes,
20: Sunday. It's not like, you know, we're going to the electric chair and, you know, the the last minute is last minute. We have lots of time here, so. Uh, but so we're... We're we have limited capacity though. Um limited capacity. Uh I think we're three, four hundred is our max that we can uh, that we can accommodate out there because of the time of year. Um so you can go online and, and you could go on the Titans website and actually uh, I think the tickets are ten dollars each. You get to right. come out and see see what we've built so far. Um and Cliff has got a tough job this year. I mean, we were out at, uh, at training camp yesterday, and I'm not sure how he's gonna how he's gonna decide on those picks. Yeah, it's not it's not
0: easy. You said you have to trim the roster by six guys right, right, be right, right. before Thursday, right. or no? Is it before Thursday's game? Or yeah, it yeah. Depends, give or take. Yeah, okay. Right, and it's Jamestown you're gonna be playing.
21: Yes, Jamestown, never pro yeah. team. Uh, team we've been playing for the last couple of years. Uh, I know the had Coach very well. Me and him competed against each other in Canada as well. He played out here, so. Um, It's going to be a good game for us. Them guys going to come and compete at a high level. And it's the same thing for them. Like, he got some guys that he's looking at. So it works both ways, right? The guys that we playing against, them guys want to be here, right? So it's going to be a good game, a good measuring stick to see where we at. Just some things to work on, try to build some chemistry. KWTitans.com
0: is the website you can visit. As David said, those tickets are just 10 bucks, and the game is Thursday night at Conestoga College. It, this team, David, keeps you almost as busy, I think, if not busier, than your real estate endeavors.
20: Uh, you know what? It's uh, <laughs> so When somebody, say, somebody actually said to me on the weekend, so are you, what are you doing on Sunday? Is, is it a day off? Um, real estate is never, there's never a day off in real estate. Um, not if not if you 're in the game um what we've what we 've been doing for the last couple of months is double duty right my uh my partner uh my wife kate uh she does all the heavy lifting i get all the glory and but you know we 've been working hard right you know we're trying to we're we 're putting in new things you know we're we're putting in a a program with the uh with the school boards uh to to get some kids out out to the games you know so if you're if you're a young uh, person at one of the school boards, keep your eyes peeled. You might uh, you might be able to come out to a Titans game at some point in time soon. Um, partnerships. Um, City of Kitchener. Uh, they are our home opener partner and we're so excited about that. Um, we're looking at, uh, I think the City of Waterloo is also going to be, uh, you know, um, one of our partners for, uh, for our home openers. And so... Um, I never have anything, uh, uh, any shortage of things to do. <laughs> no, that's for sure. What does it mean for you, Coach Cliff, to have
0: the team involved in the community? On the court is one thing. Off the court, the skills camp, the work with kids, all of those other things. Why is that important?
21: Uh, that's very important because we just want to help the youth, right? That's what it's about, uh, giving back, um, letting these, the youth kids know is a chance that if you work hard, you could play at this level, That's the most important part. Of course, we want to win games, right, and put on a show, but we also want to give back, pass our knowledge along. Um, A lot of kids grow up, you know what I mean? Times is hard sometimes, right? Every kid got a different situation, right? So if you could get a pro to come in these youth camps and these YMCA's and just um, brighten their day up for an hour or two and just give them some advice, I think that goes a long way, right? We can kind of be mentor to these kids, right? So now you take a kid under your wing while you're here for four to five four to five, six months, however long you here. built a relationship not only with that kid, but with their family, right? And you go always give this, this kid advice for however long you need it. David, do you feel
0: like this year is almost going to be like the, the first real chance for you since you assumed control of the club?
20: It's diff- different, right? Yeah. The new it's league, di- it's the different, different year, schedule. Right? Yeah. I mean, so uh, differences in the league. Um, you know what? We have, uh, there's no Canadian content required. You know, this is uh, international league. Uh, we do have Canadian players. Right. Um, there's no, uh, we're playing mostly NBA rules. And, right, right. Uh, so that's going to change things up quite a bit. Um, I think there's only one m- minor variation, and that's right. because we don't have instant replays, right, right, um, right. Uh, uh, you know, on the net. So it's um, it's exciting in in that we we see the 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 uh, the quality of the basketball even getting better, right? So when we talk about um, the best basketball outside the NBA, we're not kidding. Um, Jamestown is a is a great team. It's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough game on Thursday, but you know, um, hopefully we're we're down to a, a roster that uh, will well. We'll give them some competition anyway. Right, right. Yeah. How
0: do you how do you manage a training camp, Coach Cliff?
21: <laughs> um, first thing, we want to try to get them in some type of game shape, right? That's what it's really about, right? We want to push them, see what type of shape we're in. And then once we do that, right, we want to try to give them some type of structure, right? See who can pick up on, on plays and details and whatever that's offensive, defensively. And then you're just trying to build some chemistry, right? See who competing at a high level, see what guy, do what. But it's mainly for the guys, right? Getting a chance to know each other, get a feel for each other. So if you do all these type of things in practice, I think the games and the exhibition games and all that stuff gets easier, right? I'm one of them coaches that even when I play, you want practice to be harder than the games, right? So I try to build a, a roster. We try to build a roster. Me and my coaching staff, we do a great job of, we're trying to make sure iron sharp and iron, right, so try to build a good roster where guys could go out every day, push each other, so when we're playing these games it's a little bit more easier
20: so one of the things that I'm really excited about is uh you know our league is is um a developmental league for the g league or the n b a so um we've got some veterans right cliff right. we've we've got <laughs> we've got some veterans that are very tuned in, and we're very yeah. excited so about. um
21: we just wanted to have a mix this year, right last year. We ain't have that much time to recruit, right? This year, me and my coaches had a lot of time to recruit. Last year, we was, we was playing up against the eight ball, right? The league started in January. We didn't play our first game in February. So our owners had to have enough time just to market the team and get the word out there, right? So by the time we played the game, other teams had about eight to ten games in already. So we was already playing catch-up. This year, the reason why people seen all these faces and the guys that we got to commit is just because we had more time to recruit. Right, So we got some guys that have been around the block Um, that's leading as well. They're doing everything they can in training camp to pull the other guys along. Right, So we have a, a point guard named Tate. Um, He was a championship in the, in this league before. We have a guy named Dexter Williams, who's a hard-nosed guy, going to be the best defender in the league. We have a guy named Kirk Hollis, that we feel like going to be one of the best all-around players in the league. We have a guy named Ant Lee, who just played the round, Pretty much everywhere around the world, veteran guy. Them guys been doing well for us, just leading by example. And some of them is vocal, so now it's for them to pull the other guys that we have, right? So yeah. then we have the rookie of the year, Lightfoot, who it's gonna be a big year for him. I think it's gonna be about him being consistent now, right? So he showed he could play. Now it's about being consistent, showing that you one of the best at your possession, at your position.
0: You mentioned that coaching staff, too. You're coming back with the same staff alongside you this year. Yes, Must be a trust there.
21: Yeah, trust. I mean, we're building corollary as well. We get used to each other. We have Coach Sue, who's from Toronto. We have Coach J-Mo, who's our lead assistant, who's from Detroit. And then we have the GOAT, right? Mike Quigley. (laughs) (laughs) Greatest of all time. He's the greatest of all time. We call him Q-Stats, right? Um, It's an honor for me to be even coaching with him, right? I'm so blessed that he let me in his backyard. Coach Q been coaching basketball for 54 years. So that tells me he done forgot more basketball than I know, right? So everywhere you go, it's not a person that that don't know Coach Q. It's not a Canadian player that's going to come in his league that he haven't coached or seen before, right? So just a great guy, and we learn so much from him.
0: That's great to have him on the sidelines with you. Operationally, David, how are you feeling coming into the season? I love the initiatives around getting kids involved because that's the next generation. That's this generation of fans and beyond. But how are you feeling as an organization coming into the new season?
20: Well, um, so we're feeling really good, um, but uh, not good in some ways. We, we, we are looking for sponsors. Uh, it's a challenge this year because, you know, a lot of small businesses... Of a Siva loan to pay back, so you know we've we're offering all sorts of different um, options for people. So um, if somebody wanted to sponsor the team, we could do it over over the course of an entire year because we are going to be we are in the community all year round now. So you know, cliffs uh, you know cliffs here all year round. Uh, other coach Sue will be here all year round. We have. We have our, our pool of, of Titans um, players that are working in the Skills Academy and the team basketball all year round. So, you know, our uh, we we have a much different offering than we ever had before. And, uh, you know, we, we made the proud announcement um, a few weeks ago that we are the first uh, professional basketball team in Canada to be completely not-profit, not-for-profit. So the goal is to get to the... Uh, the same sort of status that the Rangers are, and uh, and uh, then all of those profits, just like with the Rangers, will go back to uh, support New youth sports. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then that matters a lot to you too. Yes, yeah, that's coach? what it's really
21: about. Like yeah. I said, right? If we go, what we doing is we are trying to lay the foundation, right, for the next generation to behind us. That's what it's all about. So, if we could just build it, like David said, keep doing the right things. I think we're in the right direction, right? I feel like the energy is much better than last year. We're doing a lot of stuff in the community. More people starting to know about the team, which is a plus, right? So now it's for us to keep doing our thing off the court and on the court. That's most importantly. Carrying the brand the right way, staying professional, and then putting a good product on the floor. I think everything else, take care of yourself, right? So... That's what it's really about. Where's the game at right now,
0: Coach Cliff? I'm watching some highlights the other night, and I see guys like three balls from so right. far downtown, I can't right. even <laughs> see them anymore. Is that where we're at? We're gonna do. We're gonna play inside. What are we gonna do?
21: Yes, I mean that's where the game is at right now, right? Um, game is uh, presi- presi- um, no real positions no more, right? So just getting the guys that's a lot of skill, skill than before. It was like two guys in the post. Now, a lot of teams is playing four out, one in, or some team is just playing with uh, two guards and three wings, right? So, a lot of skill, more spacing. I think all the players just much skills than they used to be uh, years ago, right? So, um, just got to have a a good group of guys that could do multiple things, right? Play the right way, but more importantly, have a very, very high basketball IQ to play like that, right? So, I think that's where the game is at right now. A lot of spacing, a lot of shooting, right? So, I think that's where the basketball game is at right now, all over the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
21: We're we're going to be excited
20: to unveil the team on the twenty first. Right. right. I mean, um, we've got a lot of a lot of uh, good looking guys, a lot of big guys, right? So,
0: and you're going to be there cheering like oh, you always do. You never miss a, you never miss a game.
20: Well. Um, no, <laughs> you know, we, we have 20 home games, uh, plus the exhibition game and, and wherever we are in the playoffs, right? Probably the champions. Um, that's, I like that. No that's pressure coach. Right. He just yeah, said no that. Pressure. Yeah, yeah, the champions. Wait till you see the team, right? right? You know, we've got, we've got a, a big here. T- Cliff, tell what, tell us what a big is. I'd never heard that term before.
21: A big is just a guy that, uh, like, um. How can I explain that? Biggs is usually a guy that's uh protect your house, protect the paint, right? A guy that could do the dirty work and uh those type of guys you always need, right? They they stuff they stuff might not show on the stat line, but you know what I mean they do the little things, setting good screens, rolling hard, protecting the paint, cleaning the glass, right? So all Clean those things that might not show up on the stat sheet, but when you watch a film and you got a good eye for basketball, you can see it, right? Making their job easier, right? If you got a big like a rim run, I mean get the rebound and run coast to coast. That opened a lot of things up for your team, right? It opened up your wings, your shooters, it helped the point guard so you always need those type of guys on your team. Yeah, and I love that because it's those little things that don't yeah. always get noticed, right? Everybody exactly. sees the guy
0: that hits three three uh, ball after three ball, right, right? right? But these guys that are out there cleaning the glass, like you talked right. about, you gotta for have, sure.
21: got to have the intangibles, right? Yeah. So you always need a couple of those guys on the court, right? Because those are the type of guys you don't really got to set no play up. They know how to go out and get it, right? But it helps a lot, right? Got a guy that could dive on There's so many things on the basketball court you could do besides get a basket, right? You could set a good screen. You could get a deflection. You could get the offensive rebound. You could roll hard. You could run. You could take a charge. All these things I said, and not one of them said put the ball in the basket, right? So. So many things you could do in the
0: court. Man, you're getting me excited to watch a game again. I, I love it so much. It's such a great experience. And David, you and I have talked about this so many times. You mentioned sponsorships uh, and the opportunities that exist there. But of course, ticket packages as well. Go to a game and you'll become a fan instantly.
20: Yes, and come out. Every game has a theme. And I think one of them might be uh, for CF. It might right? be. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know we. I'm not sure we, whether we've nailed that. Um, I think we have. Down Late right April. On. Yeah. So check the schedule. Um, you know, we have we have 13 different teams that we're competing against uh, this year in in 20 home games. So um, it's going to be exciting. I know lots of uh, the other teams are um, unveiling their rosters, but. Um, until we get on the court, we won't really know uh, what things look like. But I am excited. I mean, the bigs. We have we have a, a, a little guy from Paris, uh, France. I mean, he's right. seven feet. Right. We brought a in um, a DJ.
21: Right. He's, he's six, nine. Yeah. Um, yeah his but, older brother played for the uh, Cavs. So we have a guy that's a younger brother, good basketball tree, so. This Good is his definitely. first year playing. This is first year, right. right so. Yeah,
20: so we've that's what I like about the mix this year is we've got we've got some some young fellows that are just coming out of university and college, right? This is going to be their pro their first pro outing and but they got picked because of their talent, right? right. So, you know, we had we had a couple of guys like that last year Sam McCono was was almost brand new and now we've graduated him off. I think he's playing in the uh in the African NBA right now. So, right. You know, that's the that's the goal.
0: All right. We're looking forward to a big season with the KW Titans. Training camp is about to break. We've got an exhibition game Thursday. This right. Thursday at Conestoga College. It's a 630 tip, just 10 bucks. Visit kwtitans.com for details and for tickets. Coach Cliff, can't wait for this to get going. You must be excited, too. Yes,
21: I'm excited. I can't wait. Um, just ready to start basketball, right? Get it rolling. It's around that time, so... Just put the work in every day, right, and see what happens. Just try to get better day by day, week by week, month by month, right? Always so. good to
20: see you, my man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. David Schooley, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Mike, you know what? Uh, uh, Merry Christmas to all, um, your yeah. family and, and uh, all the listeners at 570. We're so thankful for their support over the years, and uh, we're excited to see them out at the Titans game. Yes. And if you're out there, come out and say hi to me. Yes, Absolutely. Yes.
21: Please come. Bring your family. Something to do for Christmas the 21st. On Snow College.
20: There you
0: go. Just $10. 10 $630
20: bucks. 6 30 is the tip. Go to
0: kwtitans.com. It's the Mike Farwell show on City News 570. Cow, where does the time go? It disappears quickly when you're having fun. Hope you had as much fun on the show today as I did. I got to skedaddle. I got to make room for Rob Snow. Now, no, wait. Yeah, now you know. I was going to say in the know. Goodness gracious. I'll get used to it eventually. Now you know is uh, just around the corner, looking ahead to tomorrow. Uh, Did you know that uh, about a week or so ago, Russia... Uh, incurred about 1,200 troop losses in a single day in their war with Ukraine. We're going to touch on that ongoing conflict uh, on the show tomorrow. We're going to talk about Canada's ambitious plans to get to an all-electric vehicle fleet. Uh, We're going to talk about a 55-story apartment tower in downtown Kitchener and so much more on the program Tomorrow. Hope you'll join us then. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. Uh, now you know, with Rob Snow coming up after this update from the City News Center. My name is Mike Farwell. Bye for now.